hit it, Phil. Can it be the breeze that fills the trees with rare and magic perfume? Oh, no! It isn't the breeze, it's Jackson time. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. It's 2022, and I just wanted to come out and talk to you. Uh, this, what you're getting tonight, I'm actually recording tonight, as I'm right before I'm releasing this. So, I just thought I would come on and explain a couple things. These 1947 episodes of Jack Benny and Phil Harris and all the shows I present, we are starting to have, as you probably noticed last week, our team come on and introduce them. We are also having them for the first time ever on YouTube. And this one, I'd really like you folks to check out on YouTube because I've done something different that I don't think anyone's ever done is you'll have our introduction and you'll actually be able to see us introduce it on YouTube and then it'll go into the radio program but when it does uh, it's going to play the radio program but to go along with it I've synced up the script the original script as aired script and so it'll go right along with the program which is really cool uh, there is a difference about this particular script um, most of the scripts that when it says aired script when they do a change they'll cross something out and the secretary will write in what they really said so which is always kind of cool that you can see what was crossed out and what was replaced right in this particular script that doesn't really happen because it looks like it was maybe typed up after it or something because there is a flub that happens with dawn but it is typed in exactly as the flub goes so it was like typed in so i don't know what happened there but anyway i just think it's a pretty cool feature to have this happen and it took me a long time to do this to put this together this first time i think it'll go faster after this but the deal is if i don't have too many people tune in on youtube i'm probably not gonna take the time and effort to put this together every week so if you want me to keep putting these together go check it out on youtube and if you can write in the comments section what do you think about it do you like this do you not like this um I, I thought it was interesting um, this week uh, Brent Spiner who plays Data on Star Trek was uh, talking about kind of the after shows that they do after you know like uh, after Walking Dead they have Talking Dead where they talk about Walking Dead um, Star Trek has the ready room where Will Wheaton talks interviews cast members and talks about the Star Trek shows after they air and Brent Spiner was just saying how he doesn't really love the fact that the actors come on and talk about how they did their acting and everything. He says it's like a magician giving away his tricks. And of course, for me, I love that behind the scenes stuff. I think I've mentioned before, I, I, I like the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, but I even like the um, making of podcast that would come out about it by, with Ronald D. Moore explaining how they did everything. Uh, I enjoyed that more than the actual show. <laughs> so, But that makes sense because 
with Jack, I'm always trying to pull back the curtain and talk a little bit more about Jack and what they're doing. Uh, I'm going to work with my team on trying to get them to not give away quite as much and to save some for the following week and, and give you the spoilers for the previous week that week. So, so we're not spoiling shows and things too much. Um, anyway, I hope you're going to enjoy this. Please do check it out on, on YouTube. The link will be below. As for Brent Spiner, because I just mentioned him, uh, he does this wonderful, about a decade ago or a decade and a half ago, he did this wonderful record that was like an old-time radio show where it's he's talking and then there's music involved in it. It's hard to explain it. It's called Dreamland, and it's on YouTube in its entirety. So I'm going to link to two things. I'm going to link in the show notes to Brent Spiner. Streamland, which I think is very worthwhile, especially for an old-time radio audience. I think you guys will like it. And two, of course, I'll link to the YouTube of this actual show that we're playing now, that you're going to hear now. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Tell me what you think about this syncing up the script with the um, audio and whether you like that or not. And we'll see you next time. So enjoy. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Uh, we have our friend John Henderson here from This Day in Jack Benny, <laughs> which is a wonderful podcast, and uh, you really should enjoy that one. Uh, we got we have Kathy Fuller Seeley here, and Kathy is, is author of a, a lot of Jack Benny books that we chat about a lot. She even has some of them in her background there. You can see. Um, just uh, just some some great great reads, and then we have our friend Zach. Zach. What is the name of your podcast again? I always want to say it, but I mangle it or forget it. I mean, I can't even remember John's half the time, and John's is way simpler than yours. Yours yeah, is like Ballyhoo, uh, Watusi. I don't know something. It, yeah, that uh, Batusi would be great. Um, no, it's a uh, uh, yesteryear Ballyhoo review. Um, there we go. Which, which we actually just put out a Jack episode about the horn blows at midnight and the production of that film. So uh, that's, nice. uh, it's, it's nice to be in here talking some more Benny during this yeah. week. So. And you do, if people like, like anytime we go deep into something, I mean, Zach goes really deep. So, yeah. You, I don't know how to stop uh, digging. <laughs> your podcasts are like three hours long or sometimes even longer than that. Occasionally this one, actually this week with horn blows at midnight, it was very hard to kind of deep dive the plot because the plot's crazy. <laughs> so we, uh, so we ended up talking more about production that we were info that we were able to find. And also we presented an episode of the, uh, the Ford theater program with Claude rains, because I was like, not everybody has HBO max. Not everybody has access to the Warner archive DVD. So my thought was like, well, put the Ford theater in there and give them a, like an audible example of like how it's, Oddly enough, how it may be done even better than the film was. So yes, it was. Um, but, I mean, I, I think it was definitely more enjoyable than the film, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, but yeah, no, but yeah, it's a it's a convoluted name, but it's so unique that nobody's gonna bother to steal it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't worth our time. Very good. <laughs> well, we are presenting the second episode of the 1947 season, the the second episode where uh, the sportsmen have gotten fired, and this is Jack. Uh, he's in through this episode. He's going to decide that he's going to try and rehire the the sportsman, um, and that doesn't go so well. And so uh, he ends up where this arc continues. Uh, it's it's one of the 
I don't know. It's one of the arcs that we talk about of the Jack Benny show that gets remembered. Uh, Zach mentioned in our first episode uh, that one of the reasons it gets remembered so well, this arc is because in a future episode coming up here, I think it might be the the very next one. He's going to replace the uh, try to replace the sportsman with a very famous quartet. And, and uh, being as part of that, uh, Bing Crosby and Bing Crosby says something that that gets national attention um, and um, but we'll cover that next time but it's just that's that's one of the reasons it's so memorable is it has one of those key moments in in, in Jack Benny history where, where there's a lot to it but we'll, we'll cover all that next time but anyway um, for this episode Jack does more of the of uh, the um, the but 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 uh, phone conversation piece that he he did in the last episode he does in this episode these are some of the best examples of that and I think you'll really enjoy this one for that but um, let's go to Kathy what uh, anything you want to share about this particular episode and or the arc itself and so forth go ahead well that's if I didn't get to talk about if I failed to talk about this last time it's to praise um, the idea of bringing in the sportsman to enliven what were considered the worst commercials in all of radio. Um, uh, 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 Vincent Riggio's uh, uh, predecessor, whose name I've of course forgotten for the moment, but uh, Lucky Strikes and American Tobacco Company were infamous for having the most horrific commercials in all of radio. They wanted them to be bad, loud, obnoxious, repetitive, because they, um, the, a company and its advertisers said, you'll hate them, but you'll remember the mm-hmm. slogans and then you will go buy these little, you know, coffin nails. Uh, uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, Jack had joined, you know, uh, having Lucky Strike as his sponsor with trepidation. And the first couple years are Don doing the commercials and they're, you know, just kind of, oh, what are we going to do? This was pure they're genius. definitely a step down from yeah, Jello. You know, Jello, you, you, the yeah, commercials were so good. That it makes yeah. it stand out how Jack's, I mean, how the middle commercial with right. just Dawn isn't as good as it was. Well, I'm Jell-O. very grateful. I'm very grateful because the Jello commercials made me want to eat Jello. It's for Dawn's wonderful opening and closing <laughs> yes. with the, you know, it's so delicious. Yeah. And if he'd done that with, the, I'd be smoking a five, you know, <laughs> be a five pack of person today. And they said, so, so indeed, they were trying to find their way. And this decision, to um, uh, bring on a musical group to do a, you know, so gives Don technically even less to do, mm-hmm. but now he's just managing the sportsman. But as a, a comedic thing, it's it's absolutely genius because it turns those bizarre repetitive phrases uh, that are open and close the commercial and the lucky ads into pure nonsense. Yep. And, and in a way, it's so marvelously subversive. Because these middle commercials are saying that this is all ridiculous. This is crazy. This is stupid. And I, you know, and and to put it with um, uh, the quartet completely uh, uh, always going out of control in these early years and giving it Jack a chance to yell at them, you know, cut, just, you know, cut it out, cut it, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, it, as I said, the trade journals um, praised this as one of the newest things in radio in years. And given that all the top shows had been on for as many 12, 10, 12, 15 years, this was something new. How pathetic in retrospect that everybody got so excited about a commercial as something new. But it really is. And I said, I love 
the sort of dark subversiveness of of these uh, uh, of the commercials running it becoming completely chaotic. Exactly. Well, and let me I, throw out because um, it just made me think of something else we didn't mention about the last episode. The last episode, like we said, was so rich there was too much to talk about that we can fit it all in. But in that episode, uh, Jack is thinking about firing the the sportsman quartet, and he's talking to to Don about it. And Don is like, give him one more chance. I really think this, this, this is going to be the one that you're really going to enjoy. And so they play and they start off beautifully. And they've done this a few times, but this was probably the best realized of them, where they start off beautifully with a song that's just lovely. And, and Jack's like, yes, this is what I want. This is it. This is the thing. Yes, they got it. They finally got it. And then they start going bombastic towards the end, like they always do. And, and Jack does his wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But it's it, it's one of the best ones they've ever done. And and that one was lovely because it was a great way to, to kick off this firing of them. And then Jack is just fed up with them and says, okay, you're done. You're just fired. And and now this episode is all the ramifications from firing them and that his sponsor doesn't like the, that they're fired, says that they he needs to bring them back. And so that's where we kind of go, go from there. John, um, what, anything you want to point out about the arc or about any anything else in this episode? Yeah, I well, I love when Jack Benny gets desperate. Yes. I think he does it so well and it's so funny and you really believe him. So when, when he's already fired them, it's too late. Yes. And now he's desperate to like keep his sponsor happy and then try to get them back. Like, I think it's so funny. Well, I love it when he knocks on their door and they come to the door. And, hmm. <laughs> Even at their home, they're, they're still doing a bit. And they're all, of course, all live together somehow. Like a dorm room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, on my podcast, This Day in Jack Benny, available yes. on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Which is almost uh, they- as good as mine. But anyway, <laughs> so no, close. I, it's so close. <laughs> I I try to look up the references to the episode so you're not left out. Yeah. But the deeper you get into it, the more references you realize you missed. And this bit with the sportsman quartet when they're singing and everything Jack asks them is answered by an existing song. Yes. I knew a couple of the songs last time I listened to, like, Thanks for the Memories. And then this time I recognize a couple more, like five minutes more, you know. And and so it's interesting to be able to get like every every time you listen again, especially nowadays, you get something new from it. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, it stood out with me, too. I was going, this is one of those episodes where every time you hear it, you you because you already have it locked away oh yeah i understood that reference or that song but then you're getting more and more songs as, you, as you've listened to more and more old-time radio you've heard these performances the actual songs at some point yeah. so so i mean your your old-time radio experience just becomes richer and richer the more you listen to old-time radio because you start to get all the underlying jokes and, and get what they're talking about um zach what, what do you got for the for us I- I'm really in John's camp too with the with the with the third with the third act as it were of um or the second half of the show with him going up to their door and the amount of songs they're able to plug in and I'm a big fan anytime in comedy when you decide to create orchestral nonsense um I I'll refer to the Benny episode really quickly where uh Jack's song is done by the uh, Philharmonic Orchestra um, and it's it. They take some. They take a stupid song super seriously in the form of this orchestral version. In this one, 
when he's like, so goodbye. And then you start hearing the orchestra ramp up with goodbye forever, goodbye <laughs> forever. And then, and then after it's all done, this massive round of applause. And then Jack's like, what am I going to do? What'll I do? And then Mary goes, what do I do on a rainy night in Rio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like th- there's this, there are opportunities for each of the cast members to get a good, get, get a good kick in. And right now the sportsmen are such a funny bit that it almost seems like they would overwhelm the proceedings, but it just shows you how well balanced a Benny script is that everybody's getting their, their say in there. And I mean, like it is kind of like the filler for what's to come with the entire sportsman saga. But I actually, I didn't realize Kathy that the sportsmen were actually that popular. I assumed that that was a piece of the writing material. Like they're just like, they're inflating the popularity in order to give Jack something to be frustrated about. So to hear that that is an actual, mm-hmm. there was an actual sensation around the sportsman is not baffling, but like, it's, 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 it's both baffling and a symbol of how dull uh, 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 that critics considered radio and how exciting this one little thing could be to, to right. raise so much comment. Well, it's and amazing it, how many radio shows they were on and how many, mm-hmm. how they worked their way up the, the food chain of, of, of shows. <laughs> you can see that the early shows they were on were not the most popular shows and they get more and more popular. And then they, they reach the pinnacle, which of course is Jack, because there's no place else to go higher than that. And Jack features them more than anyone else has ever featured them. I mean, they, they, for some of them, they were simply the musical, uh, they were the house band, whatever you want to call it, the, the group that would come on and play. But for Jack, they were a focal point of a storyline and everything. So yeah, yeah go ahead. And, and the group is going to capitalize on that. You can find ads for them appearing in the Los Angeles area or on tour. And they'll say, we're the sportsman from the Jack Benny show. Mm-hmm. And they would have ways of like pretending to be with him on the phone mm-hmm. and, and doing some of their parodies. Oh, so that's cool. They took it to the bank. <laughs> I would love to hear one of those live performances that was taped or something. That would be really nice. But, yeah. Um, or get that time machine going so we can go back and actually see it. That'd be, ah, uh, exactly. I, I didn't think that's the time machine venture I wanted, but it's, it's You'll like think. the one I do after I, if I get a bonus trip after I've accomplished what I want to accomplish, yeah. it's, it's going to see the sportsman live. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump in here and take us to the Phil Harris show for just a minute. Cause the Phil Harris show that comes on after, after this episode that was done the same day. I mean, that's why we present them is uh, interesting in that we have the uh, mole, mole, mole character from the Jack Benny show, uh, making an appearance on uh, the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show, and the uh, when he when the character shows up, the character has always been played by Elliot Lewis, and so but they had, they had a much bigger part in this Phil Harris show, and so I was like, is that Phil or is it not Phil? Because there's because I mean not Phil, I mean Elliot is it Elliot Lewis or is it not Elliot Lewis? Because uh, they're 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 doing back and forth between Elliot and the Mole character, which you've never heard ever. And so I'm going, okay, I think they brought in another actor to do this. Cause I can't hear Phil's uh, Elliot's voice in, in the Mole character, but then I, I so often can't, I mean, it, it, there's only certain episodes where I actually can f- figure out, I go, Oh, 
a little bit of Elliot Lewis came out through there. So, so I, it was definitely him, but he did such a good job with the voice. And in this episode, that if he's doing it, he does such a good job going back and forth. But at the end, I listen to the credits and they usually are pretty good on this show about listing all the actors that were in there, all the guest actors and everything. And all they listed was the regular cast. There was no mention of any other actor. So I had, I think it was Elliot Lewis doing the thing. So if you're a fan of Elliot Lewis, this is a great episode to listen to of, of the Phil Harris show because it, it really is, if he if he is doing both, it's a real tour de force. But maybe someone that knows more and recognizes voices better than I do can can uh, leave a comment or something and say whether whether they think that's true or not. But anyway, so enjoy uh, both these epi- those wonderful episodes and we'll see you folks next time. Thanks, everybody. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. At 50 Fine tobacco is what counts in a cigarette. And today, tomorrow, always. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes, fine tobacco. Year after year, at auction after auction, independent tobacco experts can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. No doubt about it, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. So for your own real deep-down smoking enjoyment, smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. The Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, last week Jack Benny fired his quartet, the sportsman. A few minutes later, his sponsor, Mr. Riggiall, called from New York and insisted that Jack rehire the quartet. Jack stood his ground and in no uncertain terms said, But. (laughs) (laughs) But. But, but I know, but. But Mr. Riggio, I, I had to fire them. I mean, that, that quartet was driving me that quartet was, that quartet, that quart, that quart. Count me in, Jackson. Quiet. <laughs> Phil, I'm talking to my sponsor. But, but Mr. Riggio, if you knew what I went through with those boys, you'd, I know, but I, but I, I, I... Take back your rumba. I... Your samba. I... Mary! (laughs) Now, Mr. Riggio, I know how you feel about the quartet. I know you want them back. But I don't quite agree with you, so I'll have to think it over. What? I thought it over. Yes. Look how white he is. Well, all right, Mr. Riggio. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Yes, sir. Goodbye. Hmm. Mr. Riggio thinks he can frighten me. He's mistaken. He didn't frighten you, huh? Of course not. I know my rights, Mary. 
I got a contract to work for Lucky Strike for three full years, and he can't tell me what to do about the quartet. I remember Clause 8 about picking talent. Don't forget Clause 9 about picking tobacco. <laughs> what? And you ain't gonna look so cute in that old straw hat, Buster. Phil. L-S-F-E Boone, L-S-F-E Boone. Now look. Yes, sir. You bet. Why, sure. I've been smoking Lucky Strike for nigh on a 3,000 years. Damn it! Dennis. Now, wait a minute, Mary. Now, are you sure about that tobacco-picking clause in my contract? Well, certainly. Hey, Jackson, don't you read a contract before you sign it? Well, I usually do, but when we started dickering about salary, we got into an argument. My sponsor jumped out of his chair, and then he accidentally stepped on my glasses. What do you mean, accident? You were wearing them at the time. <laughs> well, look, kids, I made up my mind not to take back that quartet. Hand me that phone. I'm going to call up my sponsor and tell it's him... It's long distance. Hand me that pen. I'm going to write my sponsor. <laughs> I'm going to tell him that I've been offered another job at twice this salary. Oh, Jack, how can you say such a thing when it isn't true? And it's only ten days after George Washington's birthday. Gee, you're, you're right, Mary. I, I mustn't tell a lie. You know, Jackson, I had an experience once like George Washington. Phil. One look. day when I was a kid, I took an axe and cut down my father's favorite magnolia tree. You mean cherry tree? I'm from the South, son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when my father came home and saw the tree cut down, he took me by the hand, led me into the living room, stood me in front of George Washington's picture and said, Son, who chopped down that magnolia tree? I said, Father, I cannot tell a lie. I did. And he beat my brains out. <laughs> What? So go be president. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell the truth no matter what happens, and I'm still not going to rehire that quartet. But, Jack, if you get fired, what'll happen to us? I'll have to go back to my old job. Oh, don't worry, Mary. You'll still be working for me. Holy smoke. Do you own the May Company, too? <laughs> well, gee, May Benny. Now, stop. Now, cut it out. This is serious. I'll say it is, Jack. If you, you lose your job, we don't work. And if we don't work, you don't eat. I don't eat. Take the line, if we don't work, we don't eat. Don, you I'm not worried about. You could lose 20 pounds a day, live to be 108, and they'd still have to bury you in a Quonset hut. <laughs> so go be president. I mean, go sit down. Now, Dennis, Dennis, it's time for your song. Come on, let's have it. Okay. My uncle lives in a Quonset hut. He does? Yeah. All right, Dennis, your uncle lives in a Quonset hut. What's the joke? No joke, I just thought you'd be interested. <laughs> Dennis, don't waste time with idle conversation. Now, let's have your song. His uncle lives in a Quonset hut. Show the 
first I'm singing And I'm sighing And I'm flying I do sung by Dennis Day. And now, and now... And now what? I don't know, Mary. This this quartet thing sure has me worried. You didn't even compliment me on my song. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It was very good. Then why are you sorry? <laughs> Dennis, he didn't mean that. Jack's very upset. This isn't the first time he forgot to compliment me. What? He hates me because my uncle lives in a Quonset hut. <laughs> Dennis, don't be silly. Nobody hates you. And, hey, wait a minute, Dennis. Wait a minute, maybe you could help me. Huh? Well, you sing, and if you could get three other singers, I mean, we could form a quartet. I have two brothers that sing. Say, that makes three. See, if you only had another brother. Well, I could talk to my parents, but I'm... I don't mean that. (laughs) Anyway, I've... I don't know, I've got to think of something. You know, Jack, before I became an announcer, I was a singer. I know, Don, but I need a quartet. Quartet? (laughs) What are you laughing at? If Don had a mouth over each one of his chins, you'd have the whole Johnson Choir. (laughs) Mary, there's no time for jokes or remarks like that either. But maybe I could form a quartet out of my cast. Now, Mary, I know that you sing and Dennis sings and... Now, Phil, he's a very good singer, too. That's my boss who said that. <laughs> so maybe we could... Love that man. Phil. He maybe... said it, and I'm glad. <laughs> Look, Phil, this must lead into a routine. I haven't got time. So let's drop it. Now, look, now, the four of you can sing, so I'll have a quartet after all. That's no good, Mr. Benny. You have to have a male quartet, and one of us is a girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Guess which one. <laughs> I know, Dennis, I know. Believe me. <laughs> I'm sure of one thing. I'm not going to... I'm not going to apologize. 
I'm, I'm not going to apologize to the sportsman, even if I do have to pick tobacco. Don't you worry about it, Jackson. Filthy ain't going to let that happen to you. What? I got my own show. You can come to work for me. You know, I may have to at that. Say, Phil, if I did go on your show, uh, I mean, what would you pay me? The same thing you pay me. <laughs> Why, you no good, cheap, chiseling hand. <laughs> You crazy? But Jackson, money isn't everything. You said that yourself. When? When the blue of the night met the gold in your vault. I didn't ask you. Anyway, Phil, I don't want to be on your show. But Jackson, look what you could learn just by sitting there and watching me. Me? Learn from you? Sure. My stuff is sharp. It's right up to the minute. Now ask me something, Jackson. Ask me, uh, ask me what happened to the kid who swallowed a live duck. Phil, I'm not going Come into... Come on, Jackson. Just once ask me. Now, ask me what happened to the kid that swallowed a live duck. Oh, all right, Phil. What happened to the kid that swallowed a live duck? He felt a little down in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Harris, your head may come to a point, but nobody's getting stuck with it. <laughs> Phil, why don't you stick your head in a pencil sharpener and get a haircut? <laughs> now, Don... Don, I think it's time for a commercial, so let's have it. Oh, Jack, I can't do a commercial. My heart won't be in it without the quartet. Don. Don Wilson. Twinkle Tummy. <laughs> Don, you're supposed to do a commercial right here and now, and you're going to do it. All right, but the way I feel, it won't sound right. Oh, stop acting like a kid and do it. Okay. L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky strikes are surrounds the firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. And they're made of that light that find the naturally mild tobacco. And even though I love them, that's all I'm going to say. So there. John, stop pouting. Look at the way your lower lip sticks out. What a place to open beer bottles. <laughs> you said it. Between Don, the quartet, and the sponsor, I just soon quit radio and forget about the whole thing. Oh, Jack, if you're so disgusted, why don't you quit? Look, Mary, if I got the right offer from pictures, I'd consider it, believe me. I'm sorry now I turned down that big part they offered me in the Jolson story. Oh, some big part. When Jolson sang Mammy, you were supposed to run out and put a cushion under his knee. <laughs> Not the part I'm talking about. Mary, why don't you stop kidding when I'm so worried? Well, Jack, if you're so worried about the quartet, why don't you apologize to them and get the back? Look, Mary, I can't humiliate myself that way. I have too much pride. Well, you know what your sponsor said. If you don't get them back, you'll have no job, and no job means no salary. Well, maybe you're right. I'll go find the quartet and apologize. Wait a minute, Jackson. What about your pride? Your dignity? Let Ronald Coleman have dignity. I need a new suit. <laughs> now, come on, Mary, you go with me. Phil, you, Don, and Dennis can finish the program. I can finish it myself. You sure can. <laughs> come on, Mary. Come on. All right. You know, Mary, this is going to be a mighty hard thing for me to do, but you're right. It's the only way to... Oh, Mr. Benny! Hey, Mr. Benny! Jack, the doorman's calling you. Oh. What is it, Pete? Top of the morning to you, Mr. Benny. A telegram came for you while you were broadcasting, and I didn't want to be disturbing yet. That's all right. Hand me the telegram. Oh, I say, old fellow, a message came for you while you were broadcasting over the wireless. I didn't want to interfere with your proceedings, oh, pip, pip. Look, look, will you please hand me the press... Senator Benny, for you came a telegram while you was broadcasting on the radio, I think, and I didn't want... Stop auditioning and give me that telegram. <laughs> yes, sir. Here. Thanks. He hasn't got enough shows. He wants to be on mine, too. <laughs> Mel Blanc. 
Canary, you read the telegram to me. I don't want my fans to see me with glasses on. Sort of destroys an illusion, you know. Okay. Why, Jack, it's from Fred Allen. Fred Allen? Yeah, he says, uh, Dear Jack, I heard you stand up for your rights and talk back to your sponsors, and I certainly admire your courage and integrity. Well. And, Jack, if you lose your job, don't worry, as here in New York, there's a splendid opening for you. All we have to do is lift up the manhole cover. <laughs> well, isn't that nice? He wants me to live with him. <laughs> Come on, Mary, the car is right out in front. Rochester waiting in the car. Hello, Rochester. Well, hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, Miss Livingston. Hello, Rochester. Uh, Rochester, I want you to drive us to North Hollywood in a hurry. Mary, get in the car. Just a minute, Jack. What are you looking at? That right front hubcap. Did that come with this car? Oh, no, ma'am. That's off a 1947 Cadillac. Really? Where'd you get it? Well, yesterday, Mr. Benny and I were walking down the street. Look. A new Cadillac came around the corner real fast, hit the curb, the hubcap flew up in the air, Mr. Benny made a running catch, laddled it to me, and I took off like Buddy Young in the Rose Bowl. Come on, Mary, get in the car. Okay. She's got backbones and butter beans, ham, hocks, and turnip greens. You and me in New Orleans, and that's what I like about Rochester, the Rochester, turn that Did off. Did I tell you about the place called Dua Diddy? It ain't just, uh... Mary, next time don't slam the door so hard It turns on the radio You know, I feel sorry for the South First the bold weevils, now Phil Harris I don't know which is the worst of the two weevils <laughs> That was a good one, boss Oh, Rochester, do you really like that? No, but tomorrow's payday And I don't want to have another duel in the sun <laughs> Now, come on, Rochester, start the car. Yes. Sir. 
Try it again, Rochester. Okay. Rochester, what's wrong with the motor? Everything, including B.O. <laughs> well, roll down the window and try it again. Ah. That's better. I threw a cough drop in the gas tank. Now, Rochester, drive us out of North Hollywood. Yes, sir. Rochester, did you hear my program? No, boss, I was busy fixing the car. Why, what happened? When I wanted to turn on the radio, I slammed the door and the fender fell off. Which fender? The fender. <laughs> the fender! Oh, well, the next time you slam the door, be a little more... Rochester, what was that? We just terminated our association with the Cadillac Motor Company. <laughs> oh, my goodness, the hubcap. Oh, Jack, when are you going to get rid of this car? I don't know. I'm thinking of holding an auction at Santa Anita. <laughs> Why don't you get one of those new cars with a hydromatic drive? You know, the ones that have no clutch. Oh, we're way ahead of them. We got no clutch, no brake, no nothing. <laughs> Rochester. If Nora Prentice ever rode in this car, she'd say plenty. <laughs> Look, just keep driving, will you? Say, Rochester, if this car has no brake, how do you stop it? There's a hole in the floorboard and I wear spiked shoes. <laughs> well, better start dragging them. There's a red light. Oh, Martha. Martha. What is it, Emily? There's Jack Benny again. Oh, yes. My, but he's handsome. Every time I see him, my stockings begin to crawl. <laughs> Oh, Martha, you're acting like a silly girl. Don't be such a prude, Emily. You'll have to admit that Mr. Benny is one of the most romantic men in Hollywood. Well, maybe so, but I'm still loyal to Francis X. Bushman. <laughs> you know, Emily, two weeks ago was Mr. Benny's birthday, so I... Oh, no, Emily, you'll think I'm silly. No, no, Martha, tell me. I sent him a lock of my hair. Oh, Martha. Do you think he received it? He must have. Look, he's wearing it. <laughs> oh, Emily, I think Mr. Benny is looking at us. So he is. Oh, darn it. I wish I'd worn my bare midriff. <laughs> Rochester, the lights change. You can go. Well, here we are, Mary. Gee, I hate to go in there and apologize to the quartet. Oh, Jack, it's nothing. It'll all be over in a few minutes. I know, but how can you talk to them? All they do is hum and sing. Oh, come on. Let's get it over with. All right, here's the door. Says the sportsman. Well, go ahead and ring the bell. Okay. Bong, 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 bong. Hmm. Hello, fellas. Come on, Mary, let's get out of here. Jack, we're here already. Go through with it. Oh, all right. Now, fellas, I came here to talk to you about your job. 
I want to tell you that I'm very sorry that I fired you last week. I know I was hasty, but... but Here we go again. Mary, keep out of this. Now, look, fellas, I want you to come back to my show. How about it? Sooner or later we knew you'd be coming around to get us. But to get us, you must let us make much more dough. More dough? Sooner or later you'll pay us the money we want. We betcha. And we betcha that we get ya before you go. But, fellas, I'm paying you a lot now. I mean, how much do you want? Give us 500 more, only 500 more, and a contract to have and to hold. But, fellas, you've got a contract for three more weeks. How much longer do you want it to run? Till the end of time, long as stars are in the blue. Long as there's a spring and birds to sing, we'll go on singing just for you. Well, I'm not going to give you a long contract, and that settles it. Then thanks for the memory of LSMFT, the smoke for you and me. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so easy on the dream. Oh, thank you so much. Look, fellas, why don't you listen thanks to reason? Thanks for the memory. Of shows we used to do, and they were all with you. But if you're such a dope, we'll work for hope for fit shampoo. Oh, thank you so much. Well, all right, if that's the way you feel about it, I've been in radio 15 years. I never had a quartet before, and I don't need one now. So good night. Good night, sweetheart. We won't meet now tomorrow. Now cut that out. <laughs> and goodbye. Come on, Mary. Well, Mary, I tried. I apologize, but did they listen? No. And I got to get them back. I don't know what to do. What'll I do? What do they do on a rainy night in oh, Rio? Oh, quiet. I'll think of some way to get them back. Ladies and gentlemen, as a result of the last war, no country entered peacetime reconstruction and rehabilitation with scantier resources than Greece. Here is another opportunity to share our blessings with our suffering neighbors overseas. The present drive on behalf of the Greek War Relief Association, a nonprofit organization, is under the chairmanship of Herbert Hoover and includes men and women of every nation and creed. To give aid, contact your local Greek War Relief Association 
or the Greek War Relief Association, New York, 19, New York. Thank you. Jack, we'll be back in just a minute. But first, here is my good friend, Basil Rysdale. As you listen to the chant of the tobacco auctioneer, remember... L-S-M-F-T. American. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. When it comes to tobacco, Mr. Sidney Curran of Oxford, North Carolina, speaks with authority because for 25 years he's been an independent tobacco expert. Here's what he said. At auction after auction, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy tobacco that's got real quality. Good, fine tobacco that smokes up mild, cool, and fragrant. I've smoked Luckers myself for 26 years. Independent tobacco experts like Mr. Curran are right on the spot at the auctions, where they can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. Real Lucky Strike tobacco. Remember, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes, year in, year out. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and fine tobacco means real deep down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. I'm sorry, Mr. Riggio, but I did all I could. I went to the quartet and I apologized to them. Now, just a minute, Mr. Riggio. I've listened to you long enough. Now, you listen to me. If they want to come back, they can come back. And if they don't want it, it's all right with me. And that settles it. Goodbye. How does that sound, Mary? Fine. Now, let's get to a telephone and call them up. <laughs> tomorrow, Mary, tomorrow. Good night, folks. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. W. Fitch Company presents The Fitch Bandwagon, starring Alice Faye. You'll never know just how much I love you. You'll never know just how much I care. And Phil Harris. Here's Phil with a song so many of you have requested, his newest Victor record release, The Preacher and the Bear. Now, preacher, when I walking, t'was on one Sunday morning. It was against his religion, but he took his gun along. He shot himself some mighty fine quail and one little measly hare. But on his way returning home, he met a great big grizzly bear. Now the bear got down in the middle of the road on all fours like a great big toad and looked that preacher right square in the eye. And the preacher looked at him and said bye-bye. Started down the road and took out the run. The bear right after that preacher did come. And they run and they run for about a mile. Then both sat down and rested a while. Preacher got up, started again. The bear, he started out with more vim. And he ran and he ran till he spotted a tree set up on the limb is the place for me. 
Bear got close, made a grab for him. The creature lived up and made the limb, pulled himself up and turned about, cast his eyes to the skies, and he did shout, Oh, Lord, you delivered Daniel from the lion's den. Also delivered Jonah from the belly of the whale, and then the Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. So the good book do declare, yes, Lord, if you can't help me, for goodness sake, don't help that bear. Now just about then, the limb let go and the preacher come tumbling down. He reached in his pocket, pulled his razor out just before he hit the ground. He hit the ground with an awful bang. It was a terrible sight. The preacher and the bear with a razor in his hair just cutting left and right. Well, they rolled around on the ground. The preacher was up and then he was down. The bear let out an awful moan and looked like the preacher was holding his own. Thought if I'd get out of here alive with that good book, I will abide. I'll never sin on Sabbath day and Sunday. Come, I'll pray and pray. To the heavens, he did glance, said, Lord, just give me one more chance. Then his suspenders gave away, and he knocked that bear ten feet away. The preacher got up and made a bound for a tree where he'd be safe and sound. Pulled himself up and turned about, cast his eyes to the skies, and he did shout, Oh, Lord, you delivered Daniel from the lion's den. Also delivered Jonah from the belly of the whale, and then the Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. So the good book do declare, yes, Lord, if you can't help me, for goodness sakes, don't help that bear. Now for the story of Phil and Alice. Last Thursday evening, the Harrises went to a movie. And as we join them now, they're coming out of the lobby. Well, Phil, how did you like the movie? Well, it was okay, it was okay, but I couldn't understand the way them actors talked. Phil, that was an English picture. Vacation from marriage. Those actors were Englishmen. Englishmen? Then what's the matter with them guys? Why don't they learn the language before they start sending us pictures? <laughs> oh, Phil, don't be silly. They speak the same language that we do. Well, it doesn't, doesn't mean nothing to me. <laughs> anyway, did you get a load of the figures on them English girls? What was wrong with them? Wrong with them? They're the only dames I ever saw who can put on a sloppy Joe sweater and look like Joe was still in it. <laughs> Well, anyway, I thought the picture was cute. Two married people taking a vacation from each other. That's quite an idea. Quite an idea, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Might even be good for us. Good for us? Hey, look, kid, be smart, will you? Be smart. When you've got a beautiful thing like me around, guard it. <laughs> if you're smart, you'll throw a net over me, kid. <laughs> You know, Phil, I believe you must be the most charming and the most handsome man in the whole world. Oh, Mrs. Harris, <laughs> your logic overwhelms me. Oh, get in the car, bullethead. <laughs> Hello. Alice? Yes. Good morning, Mother. How are you today? Fine. I called you last night, but you weren't home. No. Phil and I went to the movie. Oh, did you? Your brother took me last Wednesday. We saw The Razor's Edge. Oh, how did you like it? Well, it was all right, but as I said to your brother in the theater, if they had my little girl in there with a couple of snappy songs, the joint would really be rocking. <laughs> Mother, where did you get an expression like that? Oh, I don't know. I must have read it in Downbeat. <laughs> <laughs> but 
the reason I called, your brother is taking his vacation this week. Vacation? Yes, he's going back east, and he wants to borrow that steamer trunk of yours. Oh, Mother, that old steamer is ready for the junk pile. Of course, what could I expect from a wartime substitute? Oh, well, for the train, he'd like to borrow a couple of your overnight bags. You mean the little ones? Hmm. Oh, he wouldn't want those. Anyway, I promised them to the Salvation Army. Look, Mother, I'll get out what suitcases I have and bring them over this afternoon. Thank you, dear. How's Phil? Oh, just fine. I heard him on the Jack Benny program last week. You know, Alice, I wish they wouldn't make him do all those jokes about drinking, playing dice, and hanging out in pool rooms. No? No. Some people are apt to get the idea that he's really like that. <laughs> Yes, Mother, I suppose there is that danger. Well, I'll be over this afternoon. Goodbye. Bye, dear. Baby Alice. Yes, Daddy? Have, uh, have you seen your mother around? Yes. She's upstairs getting her suitcases out. Suitcases? That's right. She's going to Grandma's. She said something on the phone about a vacation. Suitcases? Vacation? Oh, no. Don't tell me she took that crazy picture we saw last night seriously. Alice, did your mother say anything about me? Yes, I think so. She said, that old steamer is ready for the junk pile. <laughs> She called me an old steamer? Yes, and she said what could she expect for from a wartime substitute? Why, this is ridiculous. I'm going up and talk to that girl. Now, you go ahead and go up in your room. Oh, she must be kidding. She can't do this to me. What about our home and our little babies? Why, this dame is nuts. Hey, Alice, I want to talk to you. What's the matter? What's the matter? Baby Alice just told me about this vacation. Yes, I think it's a good idea. I'm getting the suitcases out now. Good idea. Alicia. <laughs> think, it think it over. What's going to happen to me? You. Certainly. And, and what about the little ones? Oh, I'm giving them to the Salvation Army. <laughs> oh, Oh, Harris, you've been clutching a viper to your bosom. Well, where are you going? I don't know where I'm going. I gotta go somewhere. Listen to me. I'm gonna get an injunction. Get my attorney. Call Petrello. <laughs> well, what do you suppose is wrong with him? Oh, Alice leaving me. You'd think the kid would be smarter than that. She's old enough. <laughs> what a problem to throw on a guy. Oh, well, maybe if I get outdoors, I can think this thing out. Makes a guy want to do something desperate. Now I wonder if I should join the Foreign Legion, become a hermit, or get a job with Guy Lombardo. <laughs> Gee whiz, I don't know what to do. Ah, why don't you drown yourself, you rat? <laughs> now, you look, you look here, Bruzio. I'm in no mood to talk to you. For once, you just deliver your groceries in silence. Okay. I heard you on the air last week Yeah, you did? Yeah, but it didn't come in so good At first I thought the radio was on the bum Yeah? 
Then I found out the bum was on the radio. Get lost, Corny. Go on inside and faint. Groceries! Oh, yes. Put them down there. You're Julius, aren't you? Yeah, Miss Faye. Hey, Miss Faye, did you get the love token I put with your groceries last week? Love token? Yeah. I stuck in an extra box of roach powder. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you, Julius, but I'm afraid we don't have roaches. Oh, that's all right, Miss Faye. I'll bring you some from home. My old lady will never miss them. Oh, no. No, thanks, Julius. Okay. Farewell, dream girl. <laughs> It is often said that a girl's best friend is her mirror. Although your mirror can't talk, it can show you some mighty complimentary things about your hair when you use Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo regularly. For Fitch adds sparkling highlights to your hair, leaves it soft to touch and easy to comb in a smooth, flattering hairdo. In addition to getting the hair and scalp immaculately clean, Fitch adds glamour to the hair. Yes, Fitch adds glamour through its special reconditioning action that works wonders for all colors and textures of hair. Lathers equally well in hard or soft water. And since Fitch is completely soluble, only an ordinary water rinse is needed to leave your hair shining, soft and shimmering with those come-hither highlights. Use Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo to beautify your hair. Then see your reward in the mirror and in the eyes of those who know and love you. Fitch is spelt F-I-T-C-H. <laughs> Among the many outstanding musicals which have endeared Alice Faye to millions of moviegoers, her own favorite has always been Alexander's Ragtime Band. From the brilliant Irving Berlin score of this picture... Alice brings us Everybody's Step. Soon you'll hear a tune That's gonna lift you out of your seat Which could be sweeter But then the meter was written Specially for your feet Fly away up high Upon a syncopated balloon A little ginger will never injure Hear them tuning up, they'll be playing soon Everybody step to the syncopated rhythm Let's be going with them when they begin You'll be saying yes, so the band is grand He's the best professor in all the land Listen to the pep that emerges from the middle of the jazzy fiddle under his chin. Oh, what music. The clarinetter could not be better. Hear that strain. I don't know just what it is, but it's grand. They simply ruin it. Look at them doing it. Come, come, don't hesitate. Everybody step if you want to see a glutton when it comes to strutting over the ground. Where do you see my little baby and me? Step, step, stepping around. <laughs> 
And now back to the story of Phil and Alice. Phil, under the mistaken impression that Alice is leaving him, is in a rather desperate state. We find him now entering a somewhat shabby apartment building in Hollywood. Now, let's see. I know Frankie lives here somewhere. <laughs> oh, here's his door. Yeah, this is it. Frankie Remley, member of Musicians Union Local 47, will travel, have own tuxedo. <laughs> hmm. Also, free guitar lessons to blondes. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> I hope he's home. Just a minute, honey. <laughs> Oh, it's you, Phil Yes, it's me Now, look, get serious for a minute Yeah Look, Frankie I'm in an awful lot of trouble Yeah, I know I heard your show last week <laughs> No, listen, it's even worse than that Alice is leaving me Leaving you? Yeah Oh, I can't go into detail Me and her seen a picture last night Called Vacation for Marriage And she took it serious Yeah? That's right Now she's packing her bags And going home to her mother Ah, don't take it too hard, Phil well, well, try to look at it this way Not that you have lost a wife But rather that you've regained The rights and privileges of a yard dog <laughs> But Frankie, I don't want that I want Alice Gee whiz Oh, Frankie, I got to do something about her leaving me Yeah, let me see <laughs> Hey, why don't you play on her sympathy? Sympathy? If we'd hire a couple of guys to work you over, she'd feel sorry for you No, 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 you don't, Frankie No, no Now, that's just another one of them wild ideas of yours What do you mean? Did you see Saratoga trunk? <laughs> Gary Cooper got his head knocked in in a fight And five minutes later, Ingrid Bergman is drooling all over him. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that picture, and that's right, but I don't look, want it. Look, you want Alice back, don't you? Yeah. Okay, then it's settled. I even know a prize fighter who'll beat you up for nothing. <laughs> yeah? Who? Bloody Bernstein. But Frankie, I don't Come on, I, Curly. Come I on, let's want go. No bloody Here's the place, Phil. This is the gym where Bernstein works out. Gee whiz, Frankie, there's some tough-looking mugs around here. There's bloody Bernstein over there punching a bag. Let's go over. Now, wait a minute. How am I going to get him to hit me? Easy. Just insult him. Walk up and call him a bum. But he's such an ugly-looking monkey. Go on, go on. I'm right behind you. Oh, all right. This better be... Hey, you. Oh. You're bloody Bernstein, ain't you? That's me. You're a fighter, ain't you? That's me. You stink. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> hey, look, Bernstein, 
My friend here wants you should hit him. Hit him? Yeah, I want you to mess up my face. More than it is? <laughs> oh, Frankie, this bum, this, this ain't gonna work. Yeah, this... let, me, let me talk to him. Look, Bernstein. Huh? Over this way. Pay attention. Yeah. We'll pay you ten bucks to slug my friend a couple of times. Oh, I couldn't do that, gentlemen. I am a prize fighter, and that would be unethical. <laughs> it would? Oh, indeed. And besides, I make enough money throwing fights. <laughs> Look, Bernstein, we'll give you 25 bucks for one punch. Well, I can't afford to turn down that kind of dough. Get set. Watch it, Curly. Here it comes! Phil, speak to me. Did he hit you hard enough? Frankie, I got news for you. What, kid? He hit you. <laughs> oh, I wondered why I was lying here on the floor. <laughs> oh, shucks. I hit the wrong man again. That's what I get for fighting without me glasses on. Oh, brother, now I'm right back where I started. Hey, look, from. I got another idea. Another one? Yeah, come on. We're going down the street to the restaurant. But, Frank, come I... on, Curly. Oh, come you on. Hey, waiter, bring my friend another order of ham hocks and sow belly. Oh, but Frankie, I've already ate nine orders of that stuff To say nothing of them three orders of lobster smothered in chocolate syrup Look, Curly, we gotta get you sick Then Alice will feel sorry for you, right? But Frankie, I don't feel a bit sick Uh-oh You see? Getting to you, huh? Yeah Hey, Frankie Huh? Is, uh, is my face turning Green? Green? Last time I seen an expression like that was in a delicatessen on a dead herring. All right, Phil, you, you poor, poor baby. Just lie back there in bed. Oh, honey, I feel awful. Oh, did Mommy's little boy get himself all sick in the tummy? Yes, him did. <laughs> And him little carcass is just wasting all away. <laughs> oh, gee, baby. I ain't felt this bad since Frankie and I used to drink Energene zombies. <laughs> oh, my poor little baby. Yes. But you're going to take care of me, ain't you, honey? Of course. And now I'm going downstairs to get you a nice bowl of soup. You just call me if you want me, huh? All right. Goodbye, Mommy. Goodbye. Oh, Harris. Harris, what have you done to your powerful body? <laughs> now I got my wife back, but it don't look like I'm going to be alive to enjoy it. <laughs> Gee whiz. Maybe if I, if I just try to get some sleep, maybe I'd, I'd feel better. Oh. Oh, go to sleep, Filthy. Try to go to sleep. <laughs> Huh? What? Oh, come in. Bill, the doctor's here. Doctor? Yes. You were so sick, I thought I'd better call him. This is Dr. Bernstein. 
Bernstein. Good afternoon, Mr. Harris. Now, leave me have a look at you. Now, wait a minute. You ain't no doctor. Now, let me see here. Pulse normal. Mm-hmm. Heart normal. Uh-huh. And respiration normal. Woo-hoo. Everything normal. It is, doctor. Yeah. We operate at one. Operate? <laughs> now, you wait a minute, doctor. There's nothing wrong with me, and I'm getting up. Now. In that case, I've got to quiet you with this hypodermic. Don't stick that needle in my arm. Ouch! Bernstein, where are your glasses? Oh, you can't do this to me, bloody. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll... Oh. Oh. Oh, where am I? The walls, they're all white. I couldn't be in a, I am, it's a hospital. Alice, somebody please. Calling Dr. Bernstein. Calling Dr. Bernstein. The patient in room 13 is ready for surgery. 13 is ready for surgery. Remove tonsils, appendix, adenoid, heart, liver, and stomach. <laughs> that is all. Gosh, that poor guy in 13 is worse off than I am. Well, Mr. Harris, I see the hypodermic has worn off. Yes, and listen to me, nurse. You get me my clothes now. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I don't think so. They're operating in a few minutes. Operating, operating. Now, you wait a minute. What room am I in? 13. 13? In that case, I'm leaving clothes or no clothes. Oh, I'm afraid not, Mr. Harris. You're strapped down. Besides, you have a visitor. Oh, well, thank goodness. It must be Alice. Gee whiz, I'll be glad to see her. Show her in. Very well. You can come in now. Honey. Sweetheart. Kiss me. I would, Jacob, but you ain't my type. <laughs> Julius Abruzio, what are you doing here? I heard you were sick, so I come over to gloat. <laughs> now, look, Julius, you got to help me. Now, you listen to me. Make it snappy, Buster. You're sinking fast. How do you know? By this chart. The doctor hung on the foot of the bed. Chart? What's on it? There's a red line that goes up and down and up and down and up and down. Then there's a little sign. What does it say? After operation, crate well and ship to Tennessee. <laughs> Great, well. Yeah, it's signed Bloody Bernstein. Well, Mr. Harris, we're ready to wheel you into surgery. Surgery? Abruzio. Now, Abruzio, do something. Go on, Jacob. Oh, here. I bring you a going-away present. What's this? A pair of pants with a long red tail. Yeah, where you're going, that's standard equipment. <laughs> but Julius, oh, Julius, nurse, Alice. You don't need a holler for Alice. She's out playing a veil. A black one? No, a white one. Tomorrow at high noon, she becomes Mrs. Julius Abruzio. Oh, no. No, not that. Now, no. look, you'll have to quiet down. Oh. Now, quiet down. Oh. I'm pushing you through these doors into the operating room. Now, you wait a minute, nurse. Nurse, there's been a horrible mistake. Mistake? Sure, look at that sign, maternity ward. Quiet down, madam. This is awful. Now, I want out of here now. Now, let me out of here. Phil, 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 wake up. Huh? What? Alice. Alice, tell me. Tell you what? 
Was it a boy or girl? <laughs> Phil, what are you talking about? I went down to get you some soup and you started yelling in your sleep. Sleep? Sleep? Oh, honey, you mean all that about the doctor and the hospital was a dream? It must have been. You haven't left this room. Oh, oh, honey, what a nightmare. And how about you leaving me? Was that a dream, too? Leaving you? Sure, you got all your suitcases out and, and you were going home to your mother. Oh, Phil, I got those suitcases out to lend to my brother. He's leaving on his vacation this afternoon. Your brother, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's the guy who got me into this, huh? I see. Willie, huh? Mm-hmm. Hey, look, uh, uh, honey, let me do him a favor, will you? Look, uh, I want to pack him a nice box lunch. Box lunch? Yes, you know, I know a place where you can get the best broiled lobster smothered in chocolate syrup, and they got ham hocks with whipped cream. <laughs> Alice and Phil will be back in a moment. About this time every year, store windows blossom with all the late spring styles. When you plan your new wardrobe, remember, regardless of how smart your clothes are, you won't be well-groomed if you have annoying dandruff. To avoid this embarrassment, use Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo regularly. This famous shampoo does just what its name says, it removes dandruff. Yes, Fitch completely removes dandruff the first time you use it. It's the only shampoo made who's guaranteed to remove dandruff with the first application is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. Here's how Fitch works. First, it penetrates and cleanses the thousands of tiny hair openings on the scalp, dissolving all traces of dandruff. Then its rich, efficient lather floats away the dissolved dandruff and dirt accumulation. Your hair and scalp are left antiseptically clean and dandruff-free. Use Fitch regularly to be sure that dandruff does not spoil your appearance. Buy an economical bottle of Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo at drug or toilet goods counters or have professional applications at beauty or barber shops. Good night, folks. Look, uh, Alice and I just want to say that we hope that uh, you'll all be around next week because we're going to have a visit from the old spendthrift Jack Benny. So don't forget to wear your hair, Jackson. Good night, everybody. Good night. Tune in next week when the F.W. Fitch Company again brings you the Fitch bandwagon with Alice Fay and Phil Harris. This program is written by Bob Mosier and Joe Connolly and directed by Paul Phillips with original music composed and conducted by Walter Sharp. Included in the cast were Janine Roos, Walter Tetley, and Elliot Lewis. Alice Fay appears to the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. Men, use Fitch's Ideal Hair Tonic Daily. It makes your scalp tingle with that feeling of new life and pep. Fitch's Ideal is not sticky or greasy, so pep up your scalp and give your hair that well-groomed look with Fitch's Ideal Hair Tonic. Bill Foreman speaking.
This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking. Tonight we have a great episode of the Jack Benny Show for you, uh, but before that we have this wonderful clip from the Fred Allen Show. Uh, Jack's going to talk about this clip later on his show. Uh, this clip is going to, um, uh, well, we'll just let you enjoy the clip and we'll go from there, but uh, uh I'm just glad we have at least portions of the Fred Allen shows. I wish we had the entire show, but we don't uh, currently anyway. It's nice to know that it exists somewhere because they got this clip from somewhere. But uh, anyway, uh, and then uh, the Jack Benny show is going to feature, of course, uh, the catalyst for the whole B and the feud situation, Stuart Kanan, who Jack pronounces as Stuart Cannon throughout the show. I believe it's Kanan. But who knows? Uh, certainly, Jack and Fred both couldn't spell Stuart's name correctly, so who knows that they could pronounce it correctly? Um, anyway, it's a, a fun episode. Uh, Stuart does a really nice job, and uh, Stuart is still alive today and um, still performing, at least as of last year. Uh, as some folks have sent me some wonderful articles that talk about him performing in different places, so. Uh, it's neat to know that um, he still lives on. I believe he's the exact same age as my father, um, who's getting around and doing great. So hopefully Stuart Kanan's in the same shape as my dad. Uh, anyway, enjoy the, the episode, and we will see you next time for a very special guest star on uh, Jack Benny's show. Now, of course, um, Mary came to New York uh, last week and wasn't on the episode. Tonight she'll be on the episode because Jack's in New York at this point. Uh, this is where he has Stuart um, come on the show. And uh, I wonder who else he might bump into next week in New York. We'll just have to see, won't we? Uh, anyway, uh, tune in next week. A very, very special show. So uh, we will see you next time. Oh, and I almost forgot. Uh, Abe Lyman... I believe makes his first appearance with Jack tonight on the show, and uh, uh, this whole the whole um, Abe Lyman characterization that they have for him. Abe Lyman is a famous band leader at the time, and does a really nice job. The the band, if you listen to them on this episode, just really um, uh, you can tell they're just at the top of their form and really trying their hardest for Jack, which is wonderful. And Abe will continue to be a pinch hitter when Jack's in New York and at other times when Jack needs uh, a band leader. He always does a great job, and the banter between um, Jack and Abe Lyman is just uh, interesting and different, and they did a really nice job of very quickly establishing who the Abe Lyman character was going to be, and he sticks with that for uh, a number of years. Um, anyway... Enjoy, and we'll see you next time again. Is there any news in the society column? I'll say. Mary Livingston is in New York. Mary Livingston is in New uh -huh. York City? I knew as soon as Jack Benny threatened to play the bee, Mary'd have to get as far away from that program as she could. <laughs>
Jack is coming to New York next week, too. Well, you don't think he could stay in California after he played that solo Sunday night, do you? What happened to your feud? Oh, Benny fell asleep right in the middle of it. Gosh, I might as well get sore at Rip Van Winkle. You mean Jack's drowsy? Well, drowsy rhymes with a word I'd like to use. <laughs> If radio was broad-minded... Gosh, I don't see how he could fall asleep right in the middle of an argument. Well, he's anemic, that's why. His veins are only ornamental. You'd better be careful when Jack gets here. Careful of what? Why, I'll pull those three hairs he's got down over his face and tie them to his fraternity pin. Oh, yes, and what will Jack be doing? Snoring, probably. Gee, I hope you don't come to blows. Blows? Benny's so short-winded he can't gasp out a match. He has to drool on it. Well, you're not going to drag me into it. No, you'd better go home and hide under the bed. Looks as though we're about ready to start. What's in store for us tonight, Fred? The show looks great, Harry. Say, uh, before we start, did you hear Mr. Benny play the bee last Sunday? Fred, did I? Liz, I was just able to get out of bed this morning. Well, this is Wednesday. You've been in since Sunday night, Oh, I've eh? been upset. You yeah. know, that solo did more for the aspirin business in this country <laughs> than the last flu epidemic. I have never heard such wailing and squalling since the time two ghosts got their toes caught in my Ouija board. <laughs> of all of the foul collections of discourse, discords foisted on, <laughs> foisted on a radio-loving public under the guise of music, that herd of catcalls took the cake. Well, now listen, Fred, don't get excited. Harry, I, I haven't recovered yet. I, I've run out of adjectives temporarily. But I'll, the way it sounded to me, you know, that, that solo the other night, the horsehair in the bow thought it was back on the horse again. That thing got away. But I'll, I'll try and control myself, Harry. I'll go ahead with the program. Oh, Just sort of to, for, for relaxation. In between insults, we'll have entertainment. And now, uh, our, <laughs> our first guest tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we pre uh, present the most remarkable child, I think, I have ever seen. Miss Gina Valenti, a five-year-old young lady who, although uh, with legs too small to reach the pedals and, and hardly tall enough to reach the piano, is an accomplished piano player. Uh, how are you tonight, Gina? All right. You're all right, huh? And how old are you? You're five years old. You're five years old, huh? That's swell. Now, I'm going to ask your... Uh, uh, I'm just going to ask you some, some questions, your guardian here or your uh, your straight man with you. Uh, I'm going... Huh? <laughs> what is your name, sir? Mr. Gottlieb. Mr. Gottlieb, I'm glad to know you. Alan is my name. We're running a small industry here. <laughs> Devoted mostly to the excursions of Mr. Benny. But in between, we tell a few odd jokes. Now, I'm going to ask you about this remarkable little girl you have been kind enough to bring up to us tonight. Uh, uh, Gina is five years old, isn't That's she? That's right. And how many instruments does she play? She plays both the piano, the piano accordion. Uh, she also plays tap dancers. She and does tap dancing? She yeah. plays the organ, too? Plays the organ. And plays the organ, huh? Yeah. How long, uh, how old was she when she first started to play? Approximately 18 months old. 18 months old, huh? Benny couldn't even play on the linoleum when he was... 
But she surely isn't old enough to read music and understand uh, music, is she? Well, as a matter of fact, she played by ear for a period of about two years. But she's reading notes now at the present time. At the age of five, At right? the age of five. Uh, Benny doesn't play by ear, or he certainly would have run away from himself the other night that he would have ended up in Encino or one of those towns. Now, I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to ask you as a special favor to me. I know that, that Gina was supposed to come here tonight to play Nola. Uh, did the baby hear Mr. Benny Sunday night, do you know? Why, I think she did. Yes. She did hear him on the air. She thought I it was terrible. She, uh... <laughs> well, I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't ask Gina's opinion of a brother musician. You know, they're pretty close that way, and I doubt if she'd speak up. But I'm going to ask the baby if she would mind changing Nola on the spur of the moment and, and play the B. Do you think she could do that for us tonight? Will you do that, Gina? Gina, could you play the B on the piano? Huh? Can you play? Yeah. You will, huh? You play Schubert's B? Yes. All right. Well, that's the one we're dealing in exclusively. We're, <laughs> we're, we may have a few outside Bs later on. Well, all right, uh, Mr. Gottlieb. It's very kind of you to explain all the details to us. If you... Boost little Gina up to the piano there. I'll make an announcement. Thank you, Mr. Allen. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, last Sunday when Mr. Benny gave his palsied rendition of the bee on his whale box, he cried to the world uh, in sort of lukewarm hysteria, What now, Mr. Allen? Well, this now, Mr. Benny. Tonight, a five-year-old little girl will play the bee as Mr. Schubert wrote it. <laughs> without inserting a popular number in the middle to get the audience's attention away from her technique. Now, all right, are you ready, Gina? Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard a child five years of age play the bee. <laughs> Mr. Benny, aren't you ashamed? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 
The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Abe Lyman and his orchestra. This program comes to you from the grand ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria. The orchestra opens a program with plenty of money and you from the gold diggers of 1937. Some of our most pleasant hours are spent around the family dinner table. It's really grand to get together with mother, father, and all the rest to talk things over and enjoy good food. And those times are even more pleasant when dessert is a gleaming dish of delicious jello. Young and old, everybody enjoys jello's fresh fruit taste. It's appetizing, refreshing, really satisfying, too. No wonder jello is the most popular gelatin dessert in the entire world today. For only in genuine jello do you get jello's extra rich fruit flavor. So why not brighten up your family table by serving jello for dessert soon? It's easy to make, good to look at, and delightful to taste. Accept no substitutes. Ask your grocer for the one and only genuine Jello. Money and You, played by Abe Lyman and his orchestra. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you the man who made the bee, public insect number one, Jack Benny. Hello again. This is Jack Benny talking. And believe me, folks, I'm sure glad to be back in New York for a couple of weeks. Well, Jack, if you like it so well here, why didn't you come sooner? I couldn't, Don. Not until I had vindicated myself and my violin teacher. Oh, that's... Now that I've played the bee, I can walk down Broadway with head high, unashamed. <laughs> oh, Jack, I thought you did a great job. Did you bring your violin with you? No, I sent it to Honolulu for a rest. For a rest? Yes. Yeah. If you'd been missing for days and then had the bee played on you, you'd want to rest, too. Well, all I did was hear it, and I could stand the vacation. <laughs> One more crack like that, and you'll get it. <laughs> anyway, Don, let's not engage in any low banter tonight. After all, we're broadcasting from the Waldorf Astoria. Yes, indeed. This is a pretty high-class place, isn't it? Yes, sir. Quite swanky. Swanky? Mm -hmm. Well, I had a shave before they let me in the barbershop. shop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I think their prices here are quite well balanced. I didn't pay a cent more for having my suit pressed than I did for my suit. Really? You're stopping here, aren't you, Don? Oh, yes, Jack. I have a lovely room on the 22nd floor. Well, when you go to your room tonight, be sure and use the middle elevator. The middle elevator? Why? Uh, that one has the best floor show. Oh. I tell you, Don, the service here is de-loopsy. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes. On behalf of the entire personnel of the Waldorf Astoria, may I extend a cordial greeting and invite you to avail yourself of every possible facility here. Well, thank you. Are you the uh, managing director? No, I'm vice president in charge of removing dishes. <laughs> oh, uh, a busboy. Uh, yes, in the vernacular. <laughs> uh, here's my card. Your card, thank you. Well, that's odd, a round card. It's also a butterplate. Goodbye. Oh. <laughs> Gentlemanly fellow, wasn't he? Yes, rather. Yes. <laughs> hello, Jack. Is this the place? Oh, hello, Mary. 
Glad to see. That was quite a reception you got, wasn't it? Yeah, but there's one man in the second row who wasn't applauding. Where? Right over there. Well, oh, no wonder, Mary. The poor fellow has one arm in a sling. Well, it wouldn't hurt him to slap his face for a friend. That's right. Well, Mary, we sure missed you last week, didn't we, Don? Well, I'll say we did. Oh, hello, Don. I didn't see you. How are you, Mary? Gee, you've changed. Look, Jack, he's lost his double chin. Quiet. It's in his collar. <laughs> say, Mary, you've been in New York all alone for a week. What have you been doing? Plenty, and I wasn't alone. Oh. <laughs> Uh, you remember the fellow I wrote you about that I met on the train? Oh, you mean that salesman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, wait a minute. You told me in your letter he got off at Cleveland. Uh, just to mail that letter. He got right on again. Oh. <laughs> so he's the guy that's been taking you out. Huh? Yeah. <clears throat> I saw all the good shows. And, oh, Jack, there's one show that you shouldn't miss. Really? It's called, uh... Gee, I can't think of the name of it. Was it, uh, Stage Door? No. Uh, Red Hot and Blue? No, that's Funny. funny. I saw the name stamped right on the towel in my hotel. The name stamped on the towel in your hotel? I got it. You can't take it with you. <laughs> oh, sure. There's nothing like drying yourself with a good show. <laughs> Say, Jack. Yeah? Where's Phil Harris? Phil Harris, darn it. I left him in Hollywood. I forgot my pajamas, too. Oh, Jack, uh, Phil asked me to tell you that he'll join us just as soon as he's through making that picture. Oh, yes. Uh, Don, come here a minute, will you? Uh, this Abe Lyman that's, uh, who's leading the orchestra, what kind of a guy is he? Personally, I mean. Well, Jack, he's really an awfully nice fellow. You, you like him, I'm sure. Abe, uh, you know Jack Benny, don't you? Sure. How are you, Jack? Fine, Abe. Uh, funny, you uh, you and I have never worked together before, have we? No, and I'm very happy to have this opportunity. Well, thanks. Seems to be quite a regular fellow, Don. Uh, now, Abe, uh, this being your first appearance with me, I'd like to start you off on the right foot. Uh, you don't mind, do you? Hmm. Well, I just want it understood that I'm head man here, and whatever I say goes. Do you understand? Hmm. And, uh... <laughs> Furthermore, I want this settled right now so we won't have any trouble in the future. Is that clear? Are you through? Yes. Now, let me tell you something. You might be Buck Benny, but don't try to ride me. <laughs> oh, uh... Thank you. Well, we got it right this show, anyway. Oh, a fresh guy, huh? Better look out, Jack. Why? I saw him direct the opening number with a blackjack. Oh. Well, don't worry, Mary. I'm a pretty tough guy myself. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I can handle you and Fred Allen. Well, no wonder. We're both anemic. <laughs> Say, Don, come here a minute. I thought you told me Lyman was a nice guy. Well, he is, Jack, but this is his first time working with you, and naturally he's just a little nervous and excited. You can't blame him. Oh, is that it? Well, I guess maybe I was a little hasty and inconsiderate. After all, I can appreciate his state of mind. Uh, tell him to play, Don. Play, Mr. Lyman. These orchestra leaders are so sensitive.
on Park Avenue from On the Avenue, played by the orchestra and directed by Abe Lyman, the Phil Harris of the East. And very good, Abe. Thanks. Oh, by the way, Abe, you don't mind if I describe you to our radio audience, do you? After all, a little word picture wouldn't be amiss. No, go right ahead, but just be careful what you say, that's all. Now, wait a minute. Let's not start that all over again. This is my program, and I'll say anything I want to. Don't sound awfully funny with my fist in your mouth. <laughs> Are you going to stand for that, Jack? I ain't sitting down, honey. You will in a minute, Toot. Oh. Why don't you let me describe him, Jack? All right, Mary. I'm a fine boss. I wish Vaudeville would come back. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, in describing Abe Lyman, I would say that he's good-looking, rather tall, dark, and extremely romantic. Now, how do you know he's romantic? I haven't been to New York a week for nothing. Hi, Abe. Hi, babe. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, Mary. I thought you told me you went out with a salesman. That's Abe, all right. Oh, I see. I see. Speaking of Mr. Lyman, let me tell you about Jell-O. It tastes twice as good as ever before and has those six delicious flavors, strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and Lyman. Imagine if Phil was here and you had to say orange, lemon, and Harris. That wouldn't fit, you know. Hello, Jack and Mary. How are you, Don? Hello, Hello, Kenny. Kenny. How are you, Kenny? Kenny, we're all glad to see you. How do you like being back in New York? Great. I'm having a swell time. That's good. I've seen a lot of places I missed last year. I went to Central Park. The Bronx Zoo and the aquarium and... The aquarium, eh? I bet you like that. Nah, there was nothing but fish. <laughs> well, that's the trouble with those places, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're having such a good time, Kenny. Uh, did you go to Radio City? No, New York is good enough for me. <laughs> that's right, that's right. There's no use... No use dashing all over the country. I don't blame you. Say, Jack, last night I went to Madison Square Garden to see the races. Oh, the races. Uh, did you like it? Yeah, but the joggies went around so fast the horses looked like bicycles. <laughs> well, they were bicycles. Isn't that awful, Mary? I'm saving my answer for our last program. This may be it. You can't tell. <laughs> well, Kenny, what are you going to sing on your uh, first broadcast from New York? I'm going to sing When the Poppies Bloom Again. Well, I'm sure we'll like that. Oh, by the way, I want you to meet Abe Lyman, our temporary maestro. Uh, but watch out, Kenny. He's a little nervous tonight. You know, be careful. Say, Abe, uh, uh, this is Kenny Baker, our tenor. Hello, Kenny. Hello. Say, Mr. Lyman, when you play my number, just do it the way it's written, will you? Kenny. Kenny. It's my own arrangement, and I don't like it played any other way. Uh, do you get me? Kenny, be careful. Look who's bawling me out. Listen, Lyman, what Jack says goes double for me. boy, Kenny. I'm right with you. You stay out of this, Jack, unless you want your ears pleated. <laughs> Can this be... Can this be the man who plays those dreamy waltzes on the radio? Go ahead and sing, Kenny. Uh, your ears wouldn't look good, pleated Jack. I don't think so. Keeps me sighing 
my heart is crying for you On the show. I may not stop it myself, Kenny, but I'll slow it up a whole lot. <laughs> that was Kenny Baker singing When the Poppies Bloom Again, accompanied by the Gas House Gang. <laughs> that was beautiful, Kenny. You were so at ease. Sure, I'm not afraid of Lyman. Well, I'm not either, but I don't want any rough house at the Waldorf. With you on the bottom. Now, listen. <laughs> this is our first program in New York, and I'm just trying to keep things orderly, that's all. Outside of that, I'm not afraid of anyone. You're not, eh? No. Then you've either got a loud cheaper. You got a what? Oh, take that joke again. Come here, that's a good joke. Let's take, let's take the joke. Outside of that, I'm not afraid of anyone. Go ahead. You're not, eh? No. Then you've either got a loud heart or a cheap watch. That's the one. See? I didn't want you to miss that. That was funny. Say, Don. Don, uh, speaking of hearts, what time is it? I mean, speaking of watches. Uh, oh, about, about 8.45. It is. I wish he'd get here. Who? Well, listen, Don. When I played the B last Sunday night, I didn't completely vindicate myself. There's one small point yet to be settled. Uh, what is that, Jack? Well, I asked Stuart Cannon, that little boy who originally played the B and caused all my trouble with Alan, to come up here tonight, and I'm going to find out if he's really 10 years old. Well, find out how to play the B, too. I played it all right. But I have my doubts about Alan's statement. If that child is over 10, and I think he is, then Mr. Allen has deceived his listeners, thereby misinforming over 400 people around the country. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to find out the truth. Hey, maybe that's him. Huh? Come in. Hello. Hey, hey, fellas, look. Look who's here. Hello, friends. Well, <laughs> Clapperman, I'm sure glad to see you. Well, the feeling is neutral. Thank you. 
Jack, so soon when I found out you was in New York, I rushed right down from Boston to see you. From Boston, eh? Well, that was nice of you, Slap. I am my out of breath. I should have taken the train. Well, 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 I'm glad you dropped in. Oh, Slap, you remember Kenny Baker and Don Wilson, don't you? Why, certainly. Hello, Kenny boy. Hello, Slappy. Oh, how are you, Slappy? It's nice to see you. Well done, boy. Are you still making with the Jello? Oh, sure. And Slap. <laughs> Slap, here's Mary. My goodness, Mary, you're a sight for chopped ice. <laughs> you know, I'd ask you for a little kiss, but my wife is listening in. Ah, oh, come on, maybe it'll sound like that. Hey, Slap! Uh, leave me alone, I'm delirious. How was it, Mary? I don't know, it was standing on my feet. Oh. Slap, uh, tell me something about yourself. What are you doing these days? Well, Jack, I'm in the hotel business. The hotel business? Yes. I didn't know that. Uh, what's the name of your hotel? Slapperman's Little Gypsy Serum. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Jack is a special attraction. My wife tells fortunes. Oh, uh, can she read tea leaves? Yes, if they're not in English. <laughs> well, tell me, Slap, how big a hotel have you? 25 rooms, and so clean you can eat in them. Oh, uh, how about sleeping in them? That I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> 25 rooms, eh? Have you, have you got an elevator? I had one, but I got stuck, so I made another room out of it. <laughs> well, that was clever, Say, Jack, why don't you and Mary come over tonight? We got dancing and music. Oh, an orchestra, too. And who's playing there? Fred Herring and his Oriental Canadians. <laughs> my, my, what musicians? Strictly swing time, boys. Say, that, that uh, reminds me, Slap. Uh, do you know Abe Lyman? Do I know Abe Lyman? Hello, Abe, boys. Hello, Slap. Is my suit ready? <laughs> Please, quiet. You'll have it tomorrow. Positive. Oh, a tailor, too, huh? Say, Slep, you certainly branched out since I last saw you. Hotel, tea room, tailor, you're certainly in a lot of businesses. Hold on to your watch, Jack. You might have a pawn shop. A pawn shop? Huh? What do you think hangs from my sign? Three oranges? <laughs> well, you certainly don't believe in putting all your eggs in one business, do you? Well, Jack, it certainly was a pleasure to see you. Thanks, Slep. Come up and see us again, won't you? Why, certainly. Tell well, goodbye, everybody. I got work to do around here. Work to do? You mean you work here at the Waldorf Astoria, too? Sure, and the house detective. So take it easy. Goodbye. to see old Schlepperman again. He's certainly in a lot of businesses, isn't he, Mary? I bet he's in two more by now. I'll take that bet. I'm also a bookmaker. <laughs> what a guy. Hey, Don, uh, did that uh, little boy come in yet? No, not yet, Jack. Oh, well, play something, Abe. If Schlepperman is in your band, I'll die. Gee, I wish that kid would get here. <laughs> Thank you. 
popular tune played from the bandwagon, played by Abe Lyman and his ex-California. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we, um... Oh, Don, uh, did that little boy get here yet? Well, uh, not yet, but, uh, Jack, did you hear that five-year-old girl play the bee on the piano last Wednesday night? You mean on Alan's program? Yes. Well, let me tell you something, Don. See, the way Alan has been dragging those kids up to his program is disgraceful. <laughs> I think... First, uh, a ten-year-old boy plays the bee on a violin, then a five-year-old girl plays it on a piano. I suppose next week we'll hear it played on a rattle. <laughs> but, Jack, uh, I thought it was funny when Alan said you were so out of wind you couldn't even blow out a match. Well, he has me there. I'll admit that I don't compare with Mr. Allen when it comes to blowing. <laughs> wow! Uh, yes, sir, I... I stayed away all night thinking of that gag. You could have gone to sleep and snored a better one. Yeah. Well, anyway, tonight I'll find out the correct age of that alleged 10-year-old boy. Say, I, I hope that's him now. Come in. Is Mr. Benny here? Yes, come in. Are you Stuart Cannon, the little boy that played the bee? Yes, sir. I'm awfully glad you came up tonight, Stuart. What did you want to see me about, Mr. Benny? Well, it's a, uh... It's about the violin. I don't give lessons. <laughs> no, 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 Stuart. Look, no, Stuart. I merely... Look, I merely sent for you to ask a few questions. Now, there's nothing to be afraid of. Just answer correctly and regard me as your friend. I'm scared. Scared, Stuart? Why? Mr. Allen said you were the boogeyman. Now, Stuart, that's silly. That's silly. Do I do I look like the boogeyman? Yeah. <laughs> now, now listen to me, Stuart. I'm here to prove something tonight. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want the proof. You know what happens to little boys who tell lies? No. Well, you want to go to heaven, don't you? Not yet. Hmm. <laughs> now listen to me, Stuart. I listened to you last Sunday, and I didn't like it. Oh, yeah? I'm going home. Grab him, fella. Don't let him get away. Oh, we got him, Jack. He looks suspicious to me. Search him, boys. Look, Jack, he's got marbles and a cloth and some fish hooks. And there's a slingshot. A slingshot, eh? Disarm him, men. <laughs> now, now listen here, Stuart. Gee, you're silly. <laughs> now, that's not the point. I don't want to get tough unless I have to. And then I won't be with Abe Lyman. Quiet. Stuart, truthfully, how old are you? Ten years old. I mean your exact age. Ten years old. Ten years old, Abe. Where were you on the night of January 7th, 1927? Home. Home, eh? And what were you doing home? I don't remember. You don't remember? You've been very well coached, Mr. Cannon. <laughs> when was your birthday? I don't remember. You don't remember. You don't remember your birthday, and yet you're positive you're ten years old. Fuck. Now, young man. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Mary? I don't remember. Now, Stuart, how old were you when you first took violin lessons? Wouldn't you like to know? That's a lie. <laughs> Take them, Don. I don't seem to be getting anywhere. All right, Jack. Now, Stuart, uh, how old were you when you first started eating Jell-O? Two years. And how many delicious flavors has Jell-O? Six. And how much better is it than ever before? Twice as good. 
There, you see, Jack, there's nothing wrong with this boy. You take him. <laughs> now, listen, George. On the night of December 30th, 1936, you came into Fred Allen's program and played the bee, didn't you? Yes, sir. And on the night of February 3rd, 1937, at the insistence of the same Mr. Allen, you repeated that performance. Yes, sir. Now, Mr. Allen claims that you're only 10 years old. But I am only 10 years old. Yet you testified not less than three minutes ago that on January 7th, 1927, you were home. Yes, sir. Yet you don't remember what you were doing. So what? <laughs> And what's the first thing you do remember? The stock market crash. I lost my shirt. Oh, you lost your shirt, eh? Yes, you know what that means to a baby. Yeah, quiet. <laughs> now, listen to me, Stuart. You'll remember what happened on January 7th, 1927. You'll remember what happened in 1929. You'll remember what happened on the nights of December 30th and February 3rd on Mr. Allen's program. And yet you don't remember your age. You're older than 10, Cannon. Now, come on. Come clean. All right, cactus face. I'll tell. <laughs> That's better. How old are you, Stuart Tannen? Ten years and four months. Yeah. I thought so. Well, that not only exposes Fred Allen, but proves that this boy had four extra months to practice the bee. <laughs> You're excused, Mr. Tannen. I rest my case. Pop, Pop, you're intimidating the witness. Cleberman, what are you butting in for? I'm also a lawyer. Hmm, play line. Spring can't be very far off now, but whether the winds of March blow hot or cold, here's a way to add a bright springtime touch to your menus. Serve this new Jello dessert soon. It's called Prune Perfection, and it's delicious to taste, Lovely to look at and mighty easy to make. Just dissolve one package of strawberry jello in one pint of hot water. Chill until slightly thickened, then fold in one cup of finely cut up cooked prunes. Mold and serve plain or with whipped cream. You'll enjoy this clever combination of flavors, the richness of the prunes pepped up with Jell-O's fresh strawberry flavor. All of Jell-O's six delicious flavors come from fresh ripe fruit skillfully blended. So why not put Jell-O on your shopping list for tomorrow and serve prune perfection for dessert tomorrow night. But be sure you get genuine Jell-O with that extra rich fruit flavor. Look for the big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O. The last number of the 23rd program in the new Jell-O series and we'll be with you again next Sunday at the same time. I want to tell you how glad I was to see Schlepperman again, and I'd like you to meet him in person, Mr. Sam Hearn. Thank you, Jack. And little Stuart Cannon, who played the bee, which kept us going for weeks. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't he cute, Mary? Yeah. Yeah, I wish he was a couple of months older. Hmm. Good night,
again, podcast listeners. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Fred Allen Show. This episode is one of the last, unfortunately, um, we only have two left from uh, the 1936-1937 season that are in circulation. And we'll go more into circulation and all that stuff in the upcoming weeks, but... Um, Anyway, the two that are left are right in a row. They're this week's and next week's. And uh, it's kind of nice to have these because they are the, the kind of capstone to the feud. So, um, and the, the sound quality on at least this episode, I haven't checked next episode, is not as good as we've had in a while. But certainly wonderful having the episode. And... Uh, as the feud goes on, this episode uh, has has uh, the feud like mixed throughout it. There's um, one section that that really um, strongly features the feud, and um, that section I'll be cutting out and bringing to you again tomorrow as part of the Jack Benny um, presentation of kind of the the culmination of the feud. Uh, that'll happen tomorrow, which is wonderful. Now, the other thing about tonight that is great, we get to have one long pond visit us one more time, and uh, I always loved to the the one long oh, <laughs> the one long pond skits. I think they're great, and uh, the whole. Um, I, I don't think we get to hear him say. Wawalawa this time. Uh, I love when he says Wawalawa, but uh, the, the man is not killed with Wawalawa that I that I know of, but uh, always fun to have. So, great episode. Enjoy it. An hour of smiles in town hall tonight, folks. 60 minutes of fun and music brought to you by Ipana Toothpaste and Salapatica. Ipana for the smile of beauty. Salopatica for the smile of health. Fun with our star comedian Fred Allen. Music by Peter Van Seeden. And our special added attraction, the Town Hall Variety. New music, new voices, new laughs. It's Town Hall tonight. <laughs> As Fred Allen leads the parade to the old town hall. Fred's conducting the band with a big sword, followed by those dull blades of the board for Marty Allen, our players. Let's join the shouting song. Everybody's going. Everybody. Here they come, elopers. Hurry up, darling. You haven't even packed your things. All I'm taking is you and my radio, sweetheart. It's town hall tonight. Detective. Yes, officer. The thief took $15,000 at my jewelry. It could be worse, lady. Suppose he took your radio. It's town hall tonight. Fortune teller. Tell me the truth, Swami. Is my husband out with another woman? Do not worry. Swami's crystal show husband home by radio, madam. It's town hall tonight. So here we are before the old town hall, and there's Fred exchanging iambic banter with the crowd. Let's listen. This year's kisses may not taste as sweet, folks, 
But we didn't come to next. We're here to open up the old town hall. Step lively, please. Hi, fancy stockings. Hello there, Buster. Evening, Tuttlemouth. Hi there, Sister Nag. Step right in. You'll laugh, you'll weep, you'll fall asleep on the inside. So hurry, 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 uh, hurry. We're all set, Freddy. Oh, fine, <laughs> Harry. We're opening the show, baby talker. <laughs> we're opening the show with Boo-Hoo. Righto, let it go, Peter. <laughs> introduction, Harry. I drove down in my pajord and uh, arrived at the, the studio here. Good evening, ladies... <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Now, before the man from the Social Security office gets here to see about enrolling the joke, I'll read you the town hall bulletin for tonight. Hard swipe, the first grocer to get into trouble with the SPCA for breaking the tusks off elephants in his animal crackers. As a special announcement, Hart says you customers have got to quit scratching matches on the cigar counter. The cigar case has just been varnished, and Hart says, Men, if the seats of your pants are so thin, you're afraid a match will raise a divot, <laughs> just say the word when you want to light up, and Hart will bend over and oblige. <laughs> so much for friction around the county seat. And, uh, <laughs> now for the, t- now for the town hall news. The curtain, Harry. All route down, Fred. <laughs> the, uh, the lights go out, and we bring you the latest news of the week. The town hall news sees nothing, shows all. Hollywood, California. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences makes its annual awards for best performances of the year. Town Hall News, following an Academy's footsteps, presents its annual awards to outstanding underdogs of the film industry. Tonight we pay tribute to little patrons who did big things in movie theaters during 1936. A Town Hall Award goes to Mr. Caswell Slink. Mr. Slink. Hi, public. Mr. Slink. 
You were the first man to refuse to go into a moving picture theater because there was a picket outside. Right. As soon as I seen that guy picketing an ice cream. Were you in sympathy with the cause? I didn't wait to read no signs, buddy. Why did you run? Two months ago, that picket stole my wife. So? So maybe he wants to give her back. I ain't taking no chances. A town hall award? A town <laughs> The pickets are out in force this evening. <laughs> a town hall award goes to Mrs. Daphne Squat, champion seat saver in movie theaters for 1936. <laughs> Mrs. Squat. Yes, I saved 269 seats for friends last year. You have some sort of a system for seat saving, Mrs. Squat? Oh, yes. As soon as I see an empty seat, I light a candle and put it underneath. Mm-hmm. If anybody sits down, they see the seats warm. When they look around, I say, the party's coming right back. What do you uh, what do you do if somebody sits down next to you and refuses to get up? I just lean over and say, I hope you won't mind my double pneumonia. A town, a town, a town hall award goes to Strong Arm Murphy, the first man to break one of those little bombs in a movie theater and have and have nothing happen. Strong Arm Murphy, no crutch, folks. You uh, broke a bomb in one theater, Strong Arm? Yeah, I trun it in the aisles and mashed it into the carpet. Wasn't there any odor? It was brutal. <laughs> and uh, nothing happened in the theater? No, nah, the audience thought it was a picture. <laughs> a town hall award goes to Mr. Manuel Fring, the most unusual organist to appear in a movie theater during 1936. Mr. Fink. Uh, thank you, my friend. Why are you the most unusual organist for 1936, Mr. Fink? I played the organ all year with my feet. How come? Well, in all movie theaters, the organ comes up on a hydraulic platform. They put on the brake and the organ stops. I see. Then the organist comes up on a hydraulic stool. He's supposed to stop even with the organ. Why did? Why couldn't you play with your hand? All year, the stool is stopping four feet higher than the organ. So what can I do? I play with my toes. <laughs> The town hall award goes to Mrs. Hilda Wonk, the luckiest woman moviegoer for 1936. Mrs. Wonk. Oh, I'm lucky, all right, folks. How lucky are you, Mrs. Wonk? Well, I left my gum under my seat one week and came back the next week. And the gum was still there? You said a mouthful, mister. The town hall award goes to Mr. Dabney Bleach. Mr. Bleach. Just a minute, Mr. Bleach. You are the loudest singer in the movie theater audience there. Well, I ain't here to brag, bud. What is the uh, the loudest you have ever sung, Mr. Bleach? Well, uh, last week at the Paramount, they let down the song sheet. The song was Moonlight and Roses. Well, sir, 4,000 people started singing the lead. I give them four bars head start, and then I started my baritone. Uh, how did you come out, Mr. Blaze? On uh, 43rd Street. <laughs> A town hall award goes to Mr. Malcolm Trent. Mr. Trent. I can take it, brother. You made the outstanding remark in a movie theater for 1936. Yeah, it was bingo night. The guy on the stage was calling out the numbers, and finally a lady shouted, Bingo! And that is when you made your outstanding remark. Right, I said, oh, heck. Uh, what, did the, what did the rest of the audience say? Oh! Thank you, thank you, Mr. <laughs> Hollywood, California. As March 15th approaches, movie stars prepare to pay income taxes on fabulous salaries. 
Town Hall News presents Candid Camera Shot of a well-known film star filling out form. Uh, Gaston. Uh, yes, madame? Bring me a double slaughterhouse steak, smothered in lampstands, plenty of mashed potatoes, and some custard pie. Is uh, madame celebrating? It's getting near March the feast, Gaston. I've got to fill out the form. <laughs> Winter, Wisconsin. Arvid Twish, 20-year-old farm youth, eats 36 flapjacks in 61 minutes, to win National Flapjack Eating Championship. Town Hall News interviews new Flapjack champion to get message for youth of America, Mr. Twist. Hello, folks. Well, Mr. Twist, how does it feel to be the Flapjack champion of America? Well, I'm too full for words. <laughs> you can take that two ways. <laughs> uh, fine, are you? Uh... <laughs> are you uh, satisfied with your record? Oh, shucks. I could have beat it. What happened? Some smart aleck put glue in the maple syrup. And my tongue stuck to my upper plate. Did you have any bad effects after eating 36 flapjacks? Well, no. I, I just kept turning over all night in my sleep. New York City, New York. Madison Square Garden is jammed to the rafters. The 62nd International Six-Day Bicycle Race comes to a close. Winners this year are popular Belgian riders, Jean Ertz and Omer de Breiker. Town Hall News brings you the sensational finish of this classic event. The winner of the six-day race crosses the line. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. And now for the mighty Allen sacrifice. To prove that the college professor who said people can transmit their thoughts to each other was right, I lay what passes for my mind on the altar of science. I shall allow a young man who never took a lesson in his life to look me firmly between the eyes and read my mind. You ready, Mr. Von Zell? Ready, Mr. Allen. Now concentrate, please. Let me see. It always takes a moment or two to clear away the dead timber. <laughs> oh, yes, now I have it. You were thinking that if you had next week's show written, you could skip away for the weekend and relax. By gad, Bonzell, it's uncanny. I did have that truant thought. Your skill savors of decrementry. Oh, it was nothing, Fred. You could do it yourself. Well, not with everybody, Harry, but I think I could tell you what you're thinking about. All right, try it and see. Oh, I know you, Harry. You're thinking about a red and yellow stripe, too. Ipana toothpaste is on your mind, isn't it? Right, Fred. And Ipana is on the mind of everyone who believes that a good toothpaste, like a good dentist, is never a luxury. And Ipana is constantly growing in popularity because of its extra benefits. It not only cleans and brightens your teeth, but when used with massage, gives your gums the toning and stimulation they need to help keep them firm and healthy and guard against gum trouble. Since our gums do not get that stimulation from creamy, well-cooked foods, we earnestly suggest this daily routine. Every time you brush your teeth with Ipana toothpaste, put a little extra Ipana on your brush or fingertip and massage your gums with it. You'll have lovelier teeth, too, and a far more attractive smile if you'll always remember Ipana for the smile of beauty.
Peter Van Steven and the Itana Troubadours have just played I've Got Rhythm. Now, on Friday night, there's... Oh, God. Now, quiet here. Whoever is raising that hub and bub, one thing at a time, if you'll be so kindly. Hello. Well, sir, they laughed when I started to stand up in the nightclub. I didn't know I was under a table. <laughs> if it is in Portland. Yes, Papa sent me out to mail a letter to the patent office. What's the trouble? The patent expire and Papa's patent leather shoes? No, Papa's got a new invention. It's a lump of sugar that floats. Oh, I heard about that. It's for people who can't remember whether they put sugar in their coffee or not. <laughs> he lumps Bob up and reminds her. Yes. And Papa's got another invention. It's a rubber coat collar for blue serge suits. What is that? A blue serge suit with a rubber collar? Well, if dandruff falls on your coat collar, it bounces right back up in your hair. <laughs> Papa's full of ideas, among other things, all right, isn't he? Yes, he invented oversized false teeth for the man who has no sense of humor. I get it. If the teeth are too big, the man can't close his mouth. Yes, huh? that's the idea. He looks as He's laughing at everything. Uh, has anyone tried out the teeth? I'll say. Papa made a set for himself and they got him into trouble. How? He was laughing when he paid his income tax. So they rushed him away for observation. Well, that's nice. Now, as soon as they get you, you can hold a family reunion. Oh, you'll find out. I will, Let's Don't bring no teeth. Coming, Chido. Coming, go, sir. Louis, Louis, please. The senior member of the firm is always picking points. So who am I, a silent partner? Silence, <laughs> silence. Lucky I was born two years sooner. At least for two years I could say something. Say something? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you mean? Wait right a minute. If you don't take this portable argument off the premises, gentlemen, yeah. I'm apt to break your legs to match your English. <laughs> Hit me already, I'll screw. And the case will be handled by Lombard Fink, freelance attorney, who I happen to be. Look, look, I say, sir. Before I'm getting hit, he's taking the case already. You'll just wait a minute, fellas. Yes, if you guys will keep quiet for just two seconds, you can hear each other fall. Uh-huh. You think my partner is frightened? Go on, Louis, hit him. Hit me? Why, I'll pull his nose down so far. If he ever sneezes, he'll vacuum the cuffs on his pants. <laughs> go on, go on, hit me. I'll dare you to hit me. Look, a timid boy. So you give him a smash, Louis. Feel his back, then we'll sue. So who's retaining you already? Look, 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 his own brother. He wouldn't give a case. Daniel Webster, I should be, maybe, huh? Anybody else but you, you should be. <laughs> The law business is bad. Why don't you sue each other, Mr. Fink? Yes, sue, bums. <laughs> bums, he said. You know who you're calling bums, buddy? No, who are you? Tell him, Louis. Are your hands clean, buddy? Of course my hands are clean. Okay, here's our card. <laughs> you, are, you are reading it from right to left. Fink, O'Reilly, and Fink, attorneys at law. Take back the card, Louis. Get us gone, F. Is that the name of your firm? Things are rally and things. Limited. Trivial cases of specialty. Offer files at your convenience. What is O'Reilly doing in between you two things? 
Uh, confidentially, O'Reilly, we are using strictly pot bait. <laughs> you mean there's no O'Reilly in the firm? Of course not, and he's here looking. With two things, O'Reilly would starve to death. Have you settled any big cases, Mr. Bates? Uh, you are recalling a case maybe Russo versus the Holland Tunnel? Who did you represent, the Holland Tunnel? Things and things were attained by Russo. So called a plaintiff. What was the case about, Mr. Fink? Russo, and nobody, is living in Jersey. And when the Holland Tunnel is opening, a draft is going continually from New York to the tunnel <laughs> into the plaintiff's house. Exactly. For two years, Russo is suffering pneumonia, so he is retaining Fink campaign, and we are taking the case to court. Did you give the Holland Tunnel a summons, Mr. Fink? And how? First, we are slapping on a Sabina. Then we are slapping on a Mandamus. And at this point, I am requesting a habeas corpus, and the case is going to a higher court. <laughs> what your firm needs is a baritone, boy. <laughs> Our client, Russo, still a nobody, is winning the suit. You mean they closed the Holland Tunnel? No. Russo is winning the suit. Needed underwear. It was Joyce Justice. <laughs> Boy, that's some victory. The think and think it's always a victory. Oh, he's getting monotonous. Now, don't tell me you Blackstone buzzards win every case. You are hearing in legal circles regarding Peabody, voices, Bullworth. No, no, and I'm not interested. Even Gobbler. <laughs> I am opening this case by sneezing. While the judge is saying his own part, I am appealing. <laughs> what did your client get? A lucky break. The judge was cross-eyed. The foreman of the jury got ten years. <laughs> <laughs> victory. Well, this is all very enlightening, boys, but I don't need a lawyer. That's, that's what you say. You got a case, buddy. It's worth a million dollars. Same to write, and we are three get fun down in night court. Suing so who? Jack Benny. <laughs> Jack Benny, wait a minute. Now, why should I sue Jack Benny? For libel, slander, defamation of character. Forgery, forgery, usury, injury, and lethargy. <laughs> Have you been listening to the radio, Mr. Fink? Yeah, that may be. The complaint is made out already. Listen, on January 3rd, he is calling you a lowbrow. January 10th, he is calling you a highbrow. January 17th, he is saying you're a mini. And without a letter, he is insisting you can't play the police. If we are taking the case, then it will positively settle out of court and not for chicken food. <laughs> Boy, have you got a case? I will open up with a wrist of this weapon. Then I come with a wrist of no crop. Before Benny can move, I am on top of him with a wrist of pepper sugar. You're certainly putting on the wrist, Mr. Saint. <laughs> a low life like that should pay with continuity. You couldn't lose, brother. Now, but... the only thing is, you boys are a little mixed up there with the evidence. Those are the things I call Jack Benny. I give on. Did you hear that one, Bob? I heard. You've made a mistake, Mr. Fink. It could happen to a dog. It has. <laughs> you mean... <laughs> you mean that you are calling this to Jack Benny? Yes, so what? So what is that? Has Benny got a case? 
This will cost you plenty, Chisler. Well, what are we waiting for, Lombard? Let's go. Okay. Then he's stopping on the power. It's this way. <laughs> I'll sue you later, Portland. Sally, hello. <laughs> Now the town hall quartet, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, the boys take up the question of farm relief vocally. Their song, The Farmer in the Dell. Modern physicians say that you can often throw off a cold more quickly 
if at its very start you do two fundamental things. Remove waste through laxation and combat the acidity that frequently accompanies a cold. And you can do both of those things at once by taking Sal Hepatica. So at the very first sign of your cold, do this. Make up your mind to get plenty of rest, to drink plenty of liquid, and to eat sensibly. But first, above all else, put two teaspoonfuls of Sal Hepatica in a glass of water and drink it. Don't take chances with the cold, ladies and gentlemen. Take Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. There's the theme song of the Mighty Allen Art Players, and they'll be with you immediately after your station announcement. Allen Art Players bring you the answer to the theater's eternal question. Which came first, the egg or the actor? Tonight, tonight they present a nautical mystery called Murder on the High Seas or One Long Pan Helps Boy Meet Girl. Overture, Peter. <laughs> What time is that, mate? I fell, sir. Have the men heave anchor. Aye, aye, sir. Come into my cabin, mate. Aye, right, sir. What's the matter with your other eye? I got something in it, sir. <laughs> well, step into my cabin. Right, sir. Well, we're anchored here at quarantine. I'll check up. Everything's in order, sir. These passengers are finishing a six-month cruise. Is everybody satisfied? Only one complaint, Captain. Yes? A lady says she can't find any eggs in the crow's nest. Well, tell her, tell her I'll have the ship laid, too. Where's the steward? He's giving out the passports to the passengers, sir. Oh, dog! Captain, Captain, I was about, steward. Murder, sir. Murder? Aye, sir, a man shot in stateroom A. Who killed him, steward? I don't know. I was delivering the passport, sir, and... I heard a shot. When I ran back to the room, the man was dead on the floor. Hey, stay rooms on this deck, mate. Let's go. Oh, sir. Will I come too, Captain? No, Steward. This is the most half This is tight through my Captain. Open that door, mate. Help, help. Come on, sir. My husband. How long ago was your husband shot, madam? No, it's ten minutes ago, Captain. And you're just calling for help now? Yeah. When the shot was fired, I was eating lunch in the other room. First, I finished eating, and now I'm hollering. Listen. Help! Help! Quiet, quiet, please. Who shot your husband? That's the time to ask the Get a copper. What are you going to do, Captain? There's only one man can solve this mystery, mate. J. Edgar Hoover, sir? No, one long time. Send the wire. I ask, sir. All police boats stand by. Calling Detective One Long Pan. Murder on the SS Veronic. Calling Detective One Long Pan. Come on, blow up your water wings, Long Pan. Tie that outboard motor to your Mandarin coat. Proceed to SS Veronic. Man murdered. Calling Detective One Long Hold on. Greetings, salutations. Hi-ho, Captain. Detective One Long Pan on job. With hey, many, many. Get your goat off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stole that cab, Long Pan. Exactly, a Long Pan stole cab. As you stole,
stowaway. <laughs> Not bad. Not good. Uh, maybe medium. Quick, stolen long pan. There's been a murder aboard. Murder? You, uh, who are you, cop? Do I look like a cop? Uh, no, long pan, part life. You're, uh, you're dead from neck up. Why, you? You, you too. Who are you, white guy? I'm Captain Punk. And this is my boat, the SS Moronic. Very good. Captain Tunnel, SS Platonic. Nobody platonic in trouble. <laughs> okay, for sound. Now, <laughs> listen, are you going to solve this crime? Exactly. You, you, you tell Long Pound what happened. Well, first we anchored at quarantine. Uh, anchor somebody. Then I gave the men some orders. What, uh, what order? Get boom the port bow. Heave the anchor. Headrooms for Carly Flanker. <laughs> and then eight bells rang. Eight bells, very bad. Aesop say, man finds self behind eight bells, maybe end up corner pocket. <laughs> oh, long time, silly Billy, much hold in, much hold in. Oh. oh, well, it's no use trying to explain anything to you. Come on, I'll show you the body. Happy suggestion. Stateroom A is right along this deck. Very good, very good. Maybe stop uh, Stateroom B, take punch uh, Jackie Penny. <laughs> well, it's right in here. Oh, coming in, Captain. This is one long pan, lady. I'm asking you to get a copper for your bringing a laundryman. <laughs> long pan, not laundryman, lady. Long pan, Chinese demon. See, I can a jello. Toto, again, the jello. <laughs> Do you see any clues, Long Pan? Long Pan, give body double O at the McIntyre. <laughs> uh, you see, uh, bullet hole in head, light under nose. That's no bullet hole, Flamel. That's Willoughby's mouth. Uh, you say small mouth, uh, the seafoil, the seafoil. Well, there's a bullet hole over his heart, Long Pan. You get quiet, Patinsky. Long Pan detective here. What is book? It's book here. Become chance. So that's a passport, Mr. Mopey Dopey. Mr. Mopey Dopey, Mr. Mopey Dopey. You insult law, Mr. Waggy Tongue. One long pan less you for murder will be catch slipper king. Why, you're nuts, long pan. Mrs. Cat has an alibi. What uh, lullaby? What lullaby? <laughs> when the shop was fired, she was in the next room eating. Positively. I was both in pickled herring with onions. How long pan no you eat a tickle herring with onion? I will prove it by incision. If you be so kindly inhaling, I will exhaling. Go, go, go. Long pan satisfied. Oh, oh. Lullaby that is strong. Onion like incinerator backfire. <laughs> You're on the wrong track, long pan. He stops say man on long track soon get point. Oh, <laughs> Come at lip, come at lip. <laughs> My husband didn't have an enemy in the wild. Thank God, maybe friends you're there. You know what's funny, Mr. Katz died? <laughs> Mr. Katz died holding his passport. Ah, passport, important clue. Long pan has solo shot. Yeah, who shot him, Long Pan? Mad stowaway. Need passport, leave ship. Shoot Dipper King over Sansom. So, why is me taking the passport? People here shoot. Come pronto. Well, that's right. The steward reported to my cabin right away. Very good. Stow away. Go away. Oh, 
go away, go away, come again some other day. <laughs> long pants, Johnny Edgar Gash. Go long way, go long way, wrong direction. Captain, <laughs> <laughs> I am demanding you are catching the survey. Long pan hall door. Captain Funnel, I assured. Come quickly, another passenger shot on the upper deck, sir. Hurry! Six months we are cruising for help. So now the passengers are coming home dead. It must be that mad doorway, Long Pan. Long Pan, stop murder. You lead way, Captain. There's another shot. This is terrible. Murder, next take long. Long Pan, investigate. You, uh, you go first, Captain. <laughs> You're yellow, Long Pan. No, no, not yellow. Long Pan, delightful orange picoche. <laughs> lead on, McLeod. Okay. Help! Help! I'm Captain Funnel, mister. What's wrong? My wife's been shot, Captain. Oh, short her wife, mister. I don't know. I look. She's holding my passport, too. Same as Mr. Cat. Not die like a dog. Die like cat. <laughs> what does it all mean, Long Pan? Mean Matt Stowaway. Good at Matt now. Mr. Passport, second time. Well, my ship is ruined. This is three murders. Four murders, Captain. <laughs> all the turn, not in yet. Well, do something! Very good. Long pan, put all clams together, make a big pool, solve their wholesale. Well, where did that last shot come from? We try this room here. Was that shot in here, lady? Yes, this is awful, Captain. Your husband? Yes. Husband, uh, short throw transom, lady? No, through his head, Fu Young. Fu Young, you too, lady. <laughs> Long pan, ask him a question. Well, look, Long pan, in his hand. Pass it, boy. Fucking don't be too much. Good. Return just come, Maine and Vermont. Captain Funnel, what were those two shots, Stuart? The Siamese twins in the next room have been murdered, sir. Siamese twins or something in hand? Yes, they're passports. A coincidence. No, 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 not coincidence. Siamese twin die of puppet. Mystery solved. Well, if the mystery solved, you dope, where's the killer? Open mouth, shut eye, long tongue, give you a big surprise. No killer. What? You mean my husband here committed suicide? Exactly. Everybody kill self. Community suicide. Well, what caused it, long time? Very simple, very simple. Kitty play, kitty play. Captain Funnel here will demonstrate. What are you going to do, Captain? Don't ask me, lady. Ask Long Pan. Stuart, uh, you you have uh, Captain uh, Passport? Yes, sir. It's right here. What's the Oriental idea? Quiet, uh, Barnacle William. Quiet. You look at your passport. Okay. You look at the uh, picture. Whale and catfish! Where's my gun? Don't shoot yourself, Captain! Oh! Oh! He's dead! Precisely. Experiment, great success. Captain join great majority. You mean they all kill themselves because... Indubitably, 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 indubitably. <laughs> Any man prefer death to look like passport picture. What's the moral, Long Pen? Aesop say, passport photo is only x-ray picture with skin on. Some snappy dog, Long Pen likes packer, or you kid. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Now, so much for the mighty Allen R. players, and now for the mighty Allen Oddities. Strange but true facts brought to you through the all-seeing eye of Town Hall's musical candid camera. Franconia. 
In Franconia, men and women believe you should eat bread that's been carried over the roots of a tree if you want good teeth. But don't eat it during a thunderstorm or a funeral, or your teeth will never be firm and white. Ukrainia. The man or woman who is first to see the new moon will have a set of healthy teeth. And in order to make doubly sure, they look straight at the moon, take some earth from underneath their right heel, and rub their teeth and gums with it as a sort of magic tenderfoot. The United States. Americans have no place for superstition in the care of teeth and gums. We place our faith in a good dentist and a good toothpaste. And while there's no magic in Ipana toothpaste, there is something almost magic in the way it helps our teeth and gums. For Ipana was made to help benefit both. Besides cleaning and polishing teeth to a brilliant, sparkling luster, Ipana, when used with massage, does this. It helps give our gums the toning and stimulation they need and fail to get from the soft, creamy, well-cooked foods we eat. And that stimulation helps guard against gum trouble. So every time you brush your teeth with Ipana, ladies and gentlemen, massage your gums with a little extra Ipana. This easy, common-sense daily routine goes a mighty long way toward helping you to firmer, healthier gums, whiter, brighter teeth, and a far more attractive smile. So always remember Ipana for the smile of beauty. Van Seaton and the Ipana Troubadours are playing Slumming on Park Avenue. The vocal slumming is by the Town Hall Quartet. Gentlemen, Professor Quigley, a wonder worker, mm-hmm. and uh, say, uh, not wishing to interrupt myself, but uh, while I think of it, did you uh, hear Mr. B last Sunday? Oh, yeah. Yes, Jack had a pretty good program, didn't he, Fred? You don't think it sounded any better just because it was coming out of the Waldorf Astoria, do you? <laughs> 
I'll bet he won't get his program in there again next Sunday without baggage. Why? <laughs> what do you mean, Fred? Jack didn't pull any faux pas at the Waldorf, did he? Why, that okay. You know, coming out, walking down the, one of the long halls there, he saw a lot of empty finger bowls stacked up on a table. You mean to say Jack didn't know what they were? He never saw a finger bowl before. He said, gosh, the next war is going to be terrible. They're making French hats for children. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Imagine that guy driving up in front of the Waldorf in a trailer. <laughs> the doorman must have been plenty mortified. At the Waldorf? Yeah. The doorman at the Waldorf didn't even know what the trailer was. He thought one of the penthouses blew off the roof. <laughs> Oh, say, uh, Fred, did you hear Jack say that you misinformed your radio audience 400 people around the country? <laughs> he wouldn't know what it meant to cater to the 400. <laughs> oh, and another thing I thought was funny was when he grilled little Stuart Canaan. The another thing? Wait a be... minute. What was the first thing you thought was funny? <laughs> Never mind another thing you thought was funny. What was... <laughs> now, let's isolate that thing that was funny. What, uh... When Jack flew off the roof. Oh, uh, well, he's had plenty of practice flying off the handle. They can't. Uh, he's been modeling for at Hammocker Schlemmers, you know, for hammers down there for a long time. He flies off the handle, and if the hammer can't do it, it's ready to sell. But you said about uh, little Stuart Canaan, the... Yeah, uh, he grilled the little fellow, you know. Oh, that little boy who played the bee. Mm -hmm. Why that big bully picking on a little fellow like Stuart? Benny's a bully, hey, Benny's a bully, Benny's a bully, Benny's a bully. Why doesn't he pick on somebody your size? He's the kind of a guy who gives Shirley Temple a hot foot. <laughs> Why, of all the cowards, the last time he got into an argument with the Dion Quintuplet, he invited them outside one by one. <laughs> Wait a minute, Fred. Jack's all right. Why, I think I'll go over and see him next Sunday. Why? I'll... Wait a minute, Fred. You're not going to break up his program, are you? I'll tell him a thing or two. No, I I won't tax him mentally. I'll just tell him a thing. <laughs> well... Now that that's all settled... It's all settled until Sunday. Now I'm going to put my venom on to Perk, and I hope to have it ready by Sunday night at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And now for our guest program. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting, Mr. Rogers. You, you didn't mind, did you? Not at all. I'd like to present Mr. Marshall Rogers. Mr. Rogers has arrived here at the microphone with a table uh, containing some 25 or 30... Ordinary drinking glasses, mugs, and tumblers. Oh, that's Peter, that, uh, that mug in the back. These are, uh, these are musical glasses, Mr. Rogers. Supposed to be, yes, sir. You can talk at any angle in the microphone. Yes, uh -huh. all right. Yes, they, they, they are musical glasses, aren't they? Yes, sir, they are. Those are the first ones I've never seen without water in them. Can you get a tone from an empty glass like that? I believe I can, yes, sir. Uh, well, how do you do that? Would you mind explaining, or is it a secret, or... Well, all I do is place my fingertips into a little pail of water. Uh-huh. And I rub them on the rim of the glass. Oh, on the top of the glass, Yes, eh? and when I do that, it causes the glass to vibrate. 
When it right. vibrates, it brings out the tone, like this. That's very interesting, isn't it? How can you pick out the glasses pitched exactly right? Well, that took a struggle of 12 years. I had to find each one. Oh, I imagine that. Uh, well, that's quite a search, isn't it? Going through life looking for <laughs> rose-colored glasses or whatever. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you talk while you play, or do you just play the music by itself? I'd rather play the music by, by you, you don't talk, eh? Well, well I imagine a few cracks would be disastrous in it. <laughs> Did you, uh, by any chance, uh, 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 hear Mr. Benny play the B a couple of Sundays ago? <laughs> Well, shall I tell you what I did or not? <laughs> well, you can say it. Well, I didn't. You didn't, huh? <laughs> well, all right, I was just going to say, as a musician, if you had heard him play, you would agree with me when I say that if he was playing the B from the music, he needs glasses, too. I think <laughs> you're <good. laughs> Well, all right, Mr. Rogers, thank you very much for your kind cooperation, and right. I'll just ask you what you're going to play. Well, I'll tell you, special arrangement of... Some of these days. Some of these days, all right. It would be sort of contradictory to play uh, Drink to Me Only with Fine Eyes with these glasses, wouldn't it? Well, all right. Some of these days. Thank you. Gentlemen, we bring another sensational attraction to our microphone. Last year, we brought you the talking bird who wouldn't talk. This year, we called your attention to a violinist who couldn't play. <laughs> we presented the first carpenter to ever build a box over the air. And tonight, we bring you the greatest novelty to ever appear in radio, Professor Quigley. Professor Quigley is an escape artist, ladies and gentlemen. And tonight, he is going to permit himself to be nailed in a packing case, which we have here at the microphone. And you in the studio will see him, and you folks at home will hear him nailed up, and in full view of the audience, Professor Quigley will escape. You have been an escape artist a good many years, Professor. Yes, for 30 years, Mr. Allen. 30 years. Where have you done most of your escaping? Well, in vaudeville and smoke talks and... Uh... Psychopathic wards. Psychopathic wards, you... Uh... No, no, I uh, I was there only professionally. Oh, professionally. <laughs> I escaped from uh, straitjackets and uh, other contraptions. Oh, I see, and use in the psychopathic wards. And tonight, Professor Quigley, 
You are making your first escape over the radio. That's right. I am going to escape from this uh, packing case here in exactly three minutes. Flat. Well, your condition doesn't matter, Professor. <laughs> Just as long as you're sure you can get out. That's the main thing. <laughs> Professor Quigley never fails. You, uh, you understand, of course, that the time for each guest act is limited, Professor. We have other acts waiting, and I just want it understood thoroughly that if you do not escape in three minutes, we'll have to go on with the show. <laughs> if I do not escape in three minutes, I'm giving $50 to charity. Cash? Mm-hmm. And I owe you. Well, I, I imagine charity will be patient. And, all right, now, I just wanted to have everything understood. Now, if you're not out in three minutes, we'll have to put on the next guest. Professor Quigley never fails. Fine. Now, if you can go right ahead, if you will. Remember, I demand three full minutes. Three full minutes, yes, Professor. Uncle Jim is going to nail you up in the box there. Harry Bonzell will hold the watch. And you will get the full three minutes, 180 seconds, no more, no less. Professor Quigley is being nailed in, folks. You have the watch, Harry. Yes, uh, it's, uh, ten seconds have gone by already, Fred. All right, everything nailed up good and tight, Uncle Jim. Everything okay, Fred. All right, thank you. Let's go, Professor Quigley. The professor is nailed in a stocking, uh, in a solid... <laughs> a stocking, hey, that has yet to be discovered. The professor is nailed in a solid packing case, ladies and gentlemen, loaned to us by the Bristol Myers Company, makers of Ipanner and Sal Hepatica. There is a heavy clasp and padlock on one side of the box, and the top has been nailed down secure. Any noise now? How is the time, Harry? Uh, 45 seconds exactly, Fred. All right, now I'm going to move the microphone down, ladies and gentlemen, and try to get Professor Quigley to say a few words to you from inside the box. Would you uh, wrap on the box for me, Harry, if you will, please? Professor Quigley? Yes? I'm busy. <laughs> well, I know you're busy, Professor, but will you just say a few words to the radio audience? Okay. Hello, folks. It's very dark in here. <laughs> One minute. One minute, Professor. Okay. <laughs> what was that, Professor? Thank you, Professor. You have been listening to Professor Quigley, ladies and gentlemen, speaking to you from inside a a packing case here at Radio City where he is busy escaping, we hope. (laughs) If the professor's mother is listening in, the professor says he'll be right home. The professor has about a minute and 30 more seconds to go, but he's working in there quietly, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Fred, do you think you'll make it? Ah, she's working like a beaver. I heard gnawing in there just a minute ago. Say, <laughs> if the professor isn't worried whether he'll make it or not, I'm certainly not. Any signs of the professor coming out on your side, Uncle Jim? No, Fred. Something flew out of a nut hole. It uh, wasn't the professor. It looked like a moth from here. Well, the professor probably took off his coat, woke the moth up. You know those things will happen. Two minutes. One minute to go, ladies and gentlemen. Two minutes he's taken up, one minute to go. I'll make sure Professor Quigley's all right in there. One minute, Professor. Okay. How are you doing? Hey, I dropped my glasses. <laughs> now, wait a minute. We can't take time out, Professor. I you, can't see you, what I'm you doing. You've just got three minutes. What? I can't see 
what I'm doing. Can't you escape from memory? <laughs> <laughs> Two minutes and 30 seconds. Professor Quigley stopped his classes. He wants time out. Well, what are you going to do? Nothing. If he isn't out in three minutes, we'll have to open the box. That's all. Don't open that box. I'll get a lawyer. <laughs> get a lawyer. You're supposed to be out in three minutes flat. Get ready with your chisel, Uncle Jim. Okay. Three minutes. Open three that minutes, box. Man. Open that box, Uncle Jim. Don't take any back talk from him. Well, the professor's going to be pretty mad. Well, he'll right? have to be mad, Harry. You heard him say he... You heard him say. He'd... You heard him say he'd be out in three minutes. The three minutes are up, and where? Well, here he is. You're going to ruin my reputation. Now, just a minute, Professor. I, dem- I dropped my glasses, and I call for time out. You can't do this to me. Now, listen, we have other acts, Professor. I told you that before you went in the bar. I can't help it. I dropped my glasses. I couldn't see what I was doing. I know. Did, were you getting out of the box at all? I had one leg out when you yes. called to me. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Professor. We can't give you any more time tonight. Well, I did not have three minutes. Well, there's only one thing we can do, Professor. If you want to come back next Wednesday and try it again, we can arrange probably to give you more time. How is that? You mean right here next Wednesday? Yes, Professor. I'm sorry things got mixed up tonight, but we'll be glad to have you escape next Wednesday. Well, that'll be all right, but I'll demand fair play. Expensive, glorious Monday. No, Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, may I present the Cecil Max Mix Choir. Fourteen uh, male and female voices singing the well-known spiritual All God's Children Got Shoes. sprinkles the preview of next week's show all over, I would just like to say this. Your increasing friendliness towards our two products is making more and more of these Wednesdays together possible. We are all grateful for such substantial appreciation, and we do hope you will continue to remember Ipana Toothpaste for the smile of beauty, Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. Ipana, Sal Hepatica. Thank you, Harry. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, next Wednesday evening, Town Hall tonight brings you comedy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
My answer is final, Sir Gregory. You cannot have my hand. Very well, I shall play the cards I've got. Stock market report. Old American bobsled for a long pull. And music. This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company.